What episode is this? Ten. <laughs> is it ten? I yeah. think it's ten. Okay, we'll go with ten. It is ten, yeah. Nice. I'm glad, glad you know that now. Ma chère mademoiselle, it is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now, we invite you to relax, let us pull up a chair, as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, sherry, and we provide the rest. Soup to jour, hot hors d'oeuvre. Why, we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff. It's delicious. Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. They can sing. They can dance. After all, miss, this is France. And a dinner here is never second best. Go on, unfold your menu, take a glance, and then you'll be our guest. We our guest, be our guest. Beef ragout, cheese souffle, pie and pudding on flambe. We'll prepare and serve with flair a culinary cabaret. You're alone and you're scared, but the banquet's all prepared. No one's gloomy or complaining while the flatware's entertaining. We tell jokes, I do tricks with my fellow candlesticks. Put it all in perfect taste that you can bear. Come on and lift your glass, you've won your own stressed, it's fine dining we suggest. Be our guest, be our guest, be our guest. Life is so Hello, welcome to episode 10 of Dude and a Monkey. Um, we have a guest, our very first guest uh, this week. Uh, please say hello everybody to Mr. Normella of Podcasting Fame. Hello. And obviously I am joined by my wonderful and beautiful co-host Mr. Ian Laring. Say hello Ian. Boom. I am beautiful. If there's one thing anyone ever says about me, the first word that comes up is beautiful, so I appreciate that, Mark. It is indeed. The first thing people say about me is, why is that tramp stood near me? Um, right. <laughs> I'm extremely glad we have no on this episode because we are going to be talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger's return to the big stardom in The Last Stand. We're also going to be talking about our one old, one new, and our discussion piece was chosen by our guests, so if you could know, explain what we're going to be discussing. Yeah, well, <clears throat> a little bit earlier on in the week, I stumbled upon a news story that was kind of talking about how um, Warner were currently in talks with um, Steven Spielberg about sort of a potential Gremlins remake, and I kind of got into a bit of a discussion on Twitter with people about, you know, is this sacred ground, and should any should any be sacred ground, sacred ground, basically. Um, so I think we'll talk a little bit about whether our films should be sacred, uh, whether they should be left untouched, or or, you know, if the possibility of a Gremlins remake could be a good thing. Cool, right, but before we get into that, we'll go into our main review, but before that, we'll have a little short clip of the trailer for The Last Stand. It's also worth saying, sorry, um, are, are we doing the marathon and just recording it separately? We are indeed doing a marathon recording it separately, which will be added on, uh, so we don't have to put no through the pain of watching Waking Life. <laughs> actually, Waking Life's not actually that bad, but we'll come to that later on. It's just not. I don't um, know. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Um, so here is a short little clip of the Last Stand. 
Get what? down! I need you to go over there, and I need you to shoot that over there. I'm Johnny Knoxfield, I'm crazy! <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Um... Psychopath in a Batmobile. Sheriff Owens? We have a situation. A violent fugitive making a run for the Mexican border. Oh! Hey, Ray, how you doing, man? There's an escaped fugitive coming through town. You're looking jacked, Ray. You've been working out. Give me the damn thing. To save their town. I got an idea. This unlikely team is putting out the big guns. You never know. Very nice. Oh. Who the hell are you? I'm the sheriff. The last stand. Drive safely. <laughs> nice shooting, Sheriff. Rated R in theaters January 18th. Right. The last stand uh, is um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's return to being a leading man. He's first in a fuck long time. Uh, it's directed by Kim Ji Woon, who also directed The Wonderful Tale of Two Sisters and The Batshit Crazy, The Good, Bad and The Weird, and a film that I adored from a couple of years ago, I Saw the Devil. In this, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a local town sheriff who town is about to have a fugitive pass through it a fugitive who happens to be one of the most dangerous cartel bosses um, in mexico and he's driving a batshit fast chevrolet corvette so no i know you're a, you're a big big schwarzenegger fan so oh, yeah. as you're our guest what did you think of the last stand well i think overall it's it's difficult because it's just such a fucking pleasure to have him back that you kind of blind yourself a little bit to the fact that it is a bit chonky and a bit ropey in parts. Um, I had a good time with it and I really enjoyed it, but I was quite surprised that the director, having seen The Good, The Bad and The Weird, I was quite surprised that the director didn't do more. Um there's, there's a lot to enjoy in it. The action is great in it. There's some really great car chase stuff. Uh, the humour is occasionally a bit dodgy as well. Um, but I think overall, I think I quite enjoyed it. Like, despite myself, I just kind of, I enjoyed it, but I feel bad about having enjoyed it because I think deep down inside, I know it's actually not very good. Uh, right. Uh, Ian, what did you think of it? I don't feel bad about enjoying it at all. I, I I had a great deal of pleasure with The Last Stand. And I, I even though I come at this from someone who doesn't think Kim Ji Woon is um kind it, it, it is perfection beforehand. Um I'm gonna like for instance, I think I'm gonna be far more kind of thinking of their reputation when Stoker comes out, the Park Chan Wook film in March. Oh, so uh, I think um, he's, he's not of the um, the Park Chan Wook um, level. No way. But, and I mean, this is, I think this is something quite a lot of people are bringing up. Oh, it's not as good as his South Korean work. Frankly, I thought I saw the devil was a bloated bore. And yes, that's so. maybe, yeah, maybe that's the discussion we can have one day, Mark. And there you go. No, I'm not the only one. Then That's good. Um, no, I agree so, with that, but I, I was really impressed with some of his 
some of the work in The Good, The Bad and The Weird, there's some brilliant direction in it and some sort of really daring sort of camera work. And I just felt, you know, I was surprised that he didn't bother to try and do any of that in an Arnie movie. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I do agree with that. I mean, I, the thing is, I'm not saying The Last Stand is like one of the best films of the year or anything like that. I'm not. I'm genuinely not. Um, it's full of an awful lot of hoary old cliches. Forrest Whitaker appears to be in a completely different film. Like, literally, even visually, like the FBI control room and then the small town. It's almost like they had completely different directors. Uh, it, I mean, it, 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 bizarre. Um, but... Uh, Arnie, I thought, was an awful lot of fun. Uh, I, I, I quite enjoyed his puns. I quite enjoyed Johnny Knoxville. Um, I mean, it sounded like I was I like taking the piss when I was doing my impression of the trailer. But um, I, 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 I don't know. I got into him. I like Luis Guzman. Um, you know, I thought Jamie Alexander was fine as the like hot female deputy. Um, the car action was good. I was... It, it makes me laugh. Like this film hasn't done very well at the box office in the in the US. Don't know about the UK yet. But frankly, if the trailers had had as much proportionally of the car stuff as the film does, it probably would have done better because yeah. that's the flavour at the moment. I'm kind of surprised they sold it on Schwarzenegger when there's an awful lot of that stuff. And the car stuff's pretty impressive. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let Mark speak, but I, I solid four out of five for me. It, it did exactly what I wanted it to do. It had We'll get into it, but I think it had a couple of interesting sequences that I, I don't think a, um, a Western director would have come up with. And, um, yeah, I, I think The Last Stand's a good time, and I think it deserves better box office than what what it's had, and it's good to see the Austrian Oak back. Um, yeah, I, I I very much say I, I had a, so much fun with it. It is just... It's a proper kind of action film. There's... You know, it doesn't try and get itself weighted down too much. It doesn't try to be too funny, but it has the classic Schwarzenegger quips. What I that got really enjoyed about it was the fact that it it was almost like Schwarzenegger hasn't had this really big long break. He just fell back into it so easily. I'm kind of watching, thinking, I'm glad he's had that that break to go off and be, you know, governor of California because. The films he was making, sort of towards the end of you know that other part of his career, were starting to go a little bit downhill. And I can't, I wouldn't have seen if it had continued acting him making this type of film. He's gone very much. He's basically he set his stand out and said, right, I'm going back into action films because they're back in vogue now. And when he stopped acting, they weren't in vogue. They were something that went straight to, to DVD. It's a shame that it hasn't done as well as it could have done, but then again, at the moment, you've got both over here and in the States, you've got pretty big films for it to be up against. And it, it was always going to be tough for this to make money when, especially over here, you've still got Limiz, you've got Zero Dark Thirty, Lincoln, Django, um, and all these other films that it's trying to compete with. Um, I, the Johnny Knoxville character didn't bother me it's always great to see Louis Guzman because he's just fucking funny in everything because he always plays Louis Guzman um, one thing I will say is I, I agree the Forrest Whitaker seems like he was from a different film but then again I don't think I've ever seen a film with Forrest Whitaker where he isn't the main guy that he doesn't seem like he's in a different film he always seems like he's supposed to be somewhere else like he's not like he, he kind of he's turned up on the day and gone right so this is like a talk kind of thriller and they've gone 
ooh, no. It's an action thing film. Is... And he's so gone, the thing is with him as well is the way he acts makes yeah. him feel like he's in a different film most of the time because he's just such a bizarre actor, isn't what, he? Why has he done more comedy films? Because with a, with a lazy eye that predominant, he should have done more comedy films. Definitely. Um, no, I, I, had a, I had a great time with it. Um, I thought it was it was just crazy enough to be great and the, the bad guy was just... You had a couple of bad guys. You had the sort of the you know the initial bad guy of uh, Peter Strama, uh, the Varel guy, and then you had you know who obviously came across as some kind of lieutenant, and then you had the drug lord Cortez um, again, who just seemed to be kind of like the right level of crazy. Um, but yeah, and I think the the, the action sequences obviously it's an action film, so you've got to look mostly at the action sequences and and how they played out. So what did everyone think about? Um, for instance, I thought the uh, Cortez being uh, broken out of convoy or whatever you call it. I thought there was some great kind of tracking shots there with the camera, the way it was it was kind of moving around, and you're thinking, oh, it's going to track around here, and then he cut something else, and then it that would move around. And instead of doing it all as sort of shaky cam, he kind of he threw quite a lot in there, which was very similar to his work on the Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Yeah, I think that there's. I mean, there's some stuff in there that uh, is just going to work anyway. Mm. But um, I'm I, I, mainly sort of the car stuff. If you stick uh, a, a Corvette in the middle of the desert and have it going 200 miles an hour, that's going to look fucking great. Yeah. But um, you know, it, it really actually did look great. Um, I think some of the set pieces involving the car were brilliant. The uh, the sequence one sequence I liked in particular was the nighttime sequence where the was it a nighttime sequence yeah it was a nighttime sequence where they sort of have the two trucks that come up and they sort of there's a roadblock and they get through the roadblock and how they went about doing that I mean sometimes it was a bit ridiculous um, like the bit where the car sort of act, turns around and acts as a ramp yeah uh, that was fucking it. awesome but, was exactly yeah that. but that's yeah. the thing like it's ridiculous but. It's it's great. It's just it's fun to watch, and that's exactly what I would want from a film of this kind. It, it, I think it, just to say what, just to follow up on what Ian was saying, it is it's madness that they didn't make more of the car stuff in this because essentially this is a movie about you know aside from the fact that it's they've decided to focus on the lawman at at, the, at point B, this movie is about a criminal doing 200 miles an hour in a supercar from point A to point B and you know what I mean it's, it, it seems crazy that that wasn't made more of yeah I mean, essentially it is it's it's both a a kind of an anti-siege movie but it is it you could call it really a driving movie you know mm, it, yeah like you say he is there's a big thing made of, of the fact that he's you know, he drives under a pseudonym on the South American circuit that was fucking like hilarious that. what the exposition there Forrest Whitaker saying, I've seen him, he's good. It's just like, when the fuck has Forrest Whitaker's character gone to South America to see a fucking... Like, he he, like he gets somebody else in to identify the car, because he's <laughs> obviously not a car person, yet he's seen him race in South America under yeah. an assumed name. It just, maybe it was because he was doing research on him or something, but it made it sound like he's a fan. <laughs> there, is, there is a couple of great... The thing is, is this is, you know... These are action films, you know. They're essentially they're an hour and forty odd minutes where you have small setup, big set piece, small setup, big set piece, and you know mm. that that's how this type of action film works. 
but there was that those great moments where you'd have sort of two or three minutes where you'd have these, this amazing exposition where basically whenever they say that there's a great bit at the beginning where the the town there you know they have the bit where, the, where they're all going out of town which kind of then you know that's going to explain why the town is practically deserted uh, and it's for a football match and then they says oh you need to move your car. Oh, why? If you need to move it, you move it. Straight away, you know that when he gets the, the, at some point, that car is going to get fucked up, but he's yeah. going to get put back in exactly the same place, and then Schwarzenegger is going to throw him the keys. You that is a very, that. I think that is a very 80s kind of thing, that as well. It it? Is. But there's, there's a couple of things like that as well, and that's what I say when I say it's a little bit shonky. I do think there's a lot of stuff in there that's a bit clumsy, but it doesn't matter because of the type of movie that you're watching. So there's like the setup of the car is an immediate, and the fact that it's just like a bright red car as well, and you just, you're like, right, well, I expect. He get, takes the keys, puts them in his, right, okay, he's going to pull out the keys at some point, and that's going to happen. But then they do it again with like the gun as well, with like Johnny Knoxville's gun. Yeah. And it's like, all right, so Arnold is definitely going to be holding that fucking giant cannon <laughs> at some point. Do you know what I mean? It's and and they do stuff like that, and it makes it a bit shonky. But for fuck's sake, it's you know, it, it, that's what you want. <laughs> I mean, I, I also like I said, the, the comedy beats that I thought work quite well. The fact that you can see a lot of them coming, like the um, when the the deputy is holding the the big fuck off gun and he's about to shoot him, you think that's going to recoil back and hit him in the face, and it does, and it hits him. In the face, but I still laugh. Mm. Um, and then there's a, there's a bit later on where. Joy Knoxville cuts down a telegraph pole and you're thinking, I was thinking, well, A, that's attached to a big wire and B, it's going to fall on his van and both of them happened, but I still laughed both times. The wire bit made me laugh in particular. I don't know why, just the image, like, because, like, and again, I mean, there's Kim Ji Win's direction as well, because he's got a thing for kind of odd comedy. I mean, Johnny Knoxville's costume kind of looks like the, uh, the one that... Um, uh, he is Cat, the weird. Uh, the, the guy from the, yeah, he is the weird exactly. Um, and like I like I like the framing of that shot where like the other two are in the foreground. You just see him in the background just climbing up the pole. <laughs> yeah. And like it, it just if that felt like a South Korean shot, you know, like their their odd sense of humour. And, and it that doesn't come across that much in this film. But then again. You know, it probably needed to be like tempered down a little bit because it was going for a very mainstream audience, which yeah. is a shame in a way. I mean, also, well, I think another one of those was the um, the car flipping with the bazooka flipping over Louis Guzman, and then him getting up and walking forward. Through the smoke. That yeah. was fucking hilarious. That was that. It's. I think it's very much like um, Kim Ji Woon has, has basically spent, and he he said this before with um, the Good, the Bad, and the Weird. The Good, the Bad, and the Weird was him making a you know, a Korean Western based on the action films he grew up watching. And, you know, he grew up watching a lot of action films. And it's like, it's it's almost like he's making, he's making homages to all the action films. And the, I mean, this is as much, you know, it looks like a Western as well at points. Uh, and he's kind of almost homaging all these different things at once and kind of throwing them in and throwing all these different kind of, technical aspects of it. I mean, at points the, sh- the shooting of it, you know, cinematography, it would look fantastic. Um, and you had the great car chase through um, the, the corn. And then you had that great over-the-top look where they're actually kind of right next to each other, but mm. I have no idea where each other is. It was brilliant. 
that's that's the sequence in particular that I thought I don't imagine any US or British director would come up with that that sequence. That doesn't feel like that was written in the screenplay that they're having a kind of a weird cat and mouse chase in a cornfield and the fact that there's no music behind it you know and it's like when they're just slowly creeping through the corn and all you hear is the corn kind of crushing under the wheels you know that that felt like a very individual directorial choice and i i really like that mm. there's there a few things where i kind of thought well that that's a little bit strange they, they didn't i don't think they went far enough with the fact that um cortez the the uh, FBI agent he um, takes hostage he's actually paid off it, it didn't seem like it, it kind of needed that, it seemed like that was a, a subplot that was going to go further and then didn't, it just kind of happens and I don't think I don't think you really, they didn't seem to go anywhere with that, it, it was it was just like, it was another thing thrown at it it just seemed like something for Forrest Whitaker to you know, to for his moment at the end without sort of spoiling. Uh, oh, we're all spoilers, all spoilers all the time on this. Oh, point. we're all spoilers all the time, yeah. Um, yeah, no. So the, you know, it's it's just for that moment where he sort of slams the cuffs on her at the end. Um, yeah. So it, 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 apart from that, you're absolutely right. There wasn't that much reason for it, I don't think. Hmm. Uh, I think I think we we may have lost Ian for a minute. Okay, we are back. We had a slight technical issue there, so if it seems like we're now talking slightly differently to as we were, or if it seems like we're repeating things we might have just said, it's because we had a minor technical issue. My bad. Um, it was Ian's bad. It's because he um, beat a puppy to death with his Wi-Fi. Um, so, uh, what, what we will look at is, is Arnie's big fuck-off gun. Um, that was a wonderful scene. The uh, beauty of the big yellow um, school bus and Arnie with with what did John Oxford describe it as his little Nazi killer. Mm. Called Henrietta, wasn't it? What the, I think what the that band? was the name of the truck, wasn't it? Was it? That, that was the name of the truck. They, they all had sort of they all had names, didn't they? But I think the one thing I was kinda disappointed about, I'm gonna sound like such a fucking stickler, I know, but like he's using that sort of he's using that sort of Nazi killer out of the back of that out of the back of the bus. Um I kind of wanted him to. I kind of wanted to see him holding it, ah. like walking, like just walking towards the screen and just, just being like, da, 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 yeah. just like a Terminator Two shot. You know what I mean? Like when he's up in the the thingy building, um, the, the Cyberdyne building, and it just just not not because it's a reference to Terminator Two, just because it looks cool. Because I wanted to see him walking and carrying that gun. Well, there is a point but, where he goes. Yeah, that's a small point. Where he goes back to it, isn't there? There's a point where he goes back to the, to the gun, and you're thinking. Right, he's gonna pick up that big fuck off yes. gun. He can't find a gun, and he picks up a shotgun. And it's like, ah, oh, really? Ah, oh, I'm a little bit disappointed now. But still, though, that shot of him just pumping the shotgun and firing yeah. was still yeah. pretty good. Also, what yeah. I will say is, um, Peter um, Stormer's um, gun, right, holds six bullets and one in the chamber. I never saw him reload, and he shot a lot of shots out of that gun. He was fucking just, just walking, just shooting. I was thinking, he hasn't reloaded that gun yet. Um, so th- there was there was very 80s-style liberal kind of uh, reality with that, which I loved the fact that it doesn't try to kind of go, sort of justify those things. It just 
it just has these action things that kind of flow over it, and it was wonderful. The same as what we were talking about when the uh, with the blockade where he, he flips the car over uh, the Corvette. Anyone who's ever sort of actually seen a Corvette or been near a Corvette knows if you put your hand on the bonnet of a Corvette and push down, it sinks. So the mm. fact that you've got a fucking General Motors 4B fucking 4, hit it and flip over, is wonderful. Yes, sorry, I completely forgot my point then, shit. <laughs> um, right, I, I think we, we need to talk about the, the fight at the end. Because that was what you used to get in, in Arnie films uh, in the sort of mid to late 80s. Um, and then not so much sort of in his 90s work, which you used to get the classic standoff. The bad guy versus the good guy. Big sort of standoff where it was hand to hand, them actually fighting. You know, the classic one was the end of Commander, um, oh, where he's fighting Bennett. You know, you used to get that, and they were a big thing of Schwarzenegger films. And I, I'll be honest, when. It, this film started, I was surprised at how much of the actual action Arnie was involved with. He wasn't just walking around shooting a gun, you know. He was jumping through windows, and he was he was throwing punches and stuff like that, and I thought that that, that fight scene was brilliant. The fact that it was Arnie, it was, there wasn't that much made of the fact that he's, you know, he's a 60-year-old man. He, you know, there was a few references to it, but when it came to Braun, it was very much he was he was fighting his way through it, and it was just a wonderful scene. The fact that he was just picking him up and slamming him down and shit like that, and actually throwing proper fucking punches. I think it's it's important to note as well. I mean, obviously Arnold is sixty five years old at this point. Um, he's not been. I mean, he, you know, he, he admits himself that he, he still you know works out on a on a daily basis and stuff like that. Um, He's 65 years old, and yes, he did particularly well in this. And I think the the the, the fight scene at the end, it would be easy to look at his the way he's fighting and say it was a little bit slow and a little bit sort of cumbersome. Well, that, I think that's just got more to do with Arnold's size and shape mm. than it has his actual age. Point. He's never really been, you know, um, fucking Bruce Lee. He's never been super fast and super live. Um, you know, he's got a lot of mass to throw around. Um, and I think combine that with the 65-year-old stuff, the, the fact that he's 65 years old, I think that's pretty fucking good going myself. Yeah, I mean, he's got that thing that, that, that guys who, when they were big um, sort of years ago, once he puts on a, a physical mass, which he does, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't go from being Mr. Universe to getting to 65 and being a fat guy. You know, you, you still... Mm the muscles and everything have to stay sort of toned to stay healthy um, and not just not like healthy as in a general healthy you know if you don't keep all that tone once you get to that age having been that big for a consistent period of your life it can be very damaging to your health and your joints and everything yeah. like that um, so the fact that he has that, that mass uh, works very well um, for it and it's a similar thing you get with, with Stallone now but Schwarzenegger, because he was so big, he's very barrel-chested, you know, which is different to the way uh, Stallone is. Stallone now, um, he's more, he's more athletic um, in his in, in his size, anything like that. And Bruce Willis was never was never the most toned of guys, you know. He was an action star that looked more every man, you know, not like an actual every man, but 
more so every man than um, Schwarzenegger or Stallone ever looked. If you look at it, I mean, if you look at sort of the differences, really, I mean, um, Bruce Willis in Die Hard, for example, is I wouldn't say he's skinny, but he, he absolutely is a sort of everyman shape. Mm. He's you know, there's not that much on him. Um, and Stallone, I think Stallone's more muscular now and closer to an Arnold Schwarzenegger style than he probably ever has been. Because if you look at Stallone back in the back in his heyday, he was never he was never sort of bodybuilder big. Yeah. Like even in Rocky, he's big, but he's not he's not bulky sort of thing. No, he was always um, quite he's, athletically tall. Yeah, yeah, but he seems to have gone a bit more bulky now. Arnold's always been a big thick guy you know thick like a fucking trunk um and and that's absolutely the case now and he still he looks fucking great for it as well and he's got all his his hair still yes um also uh, the, the other two things i think we'll, we'll do is we'll start to wrap up on the last one uh the other couple of things that i noticed one the diner looked very much like the diner in a history of violence um and uh, whenever they're in a diner i kept imagining in the background um Ed Harris. Ed Harris and thinking, ooh, that really... And for some reason, that kind of... Any time they were that kind of pulled me out of it a little bit because I was thinking, that really does look like the fucking diner out of a history of violence. No... The, diner and the, ta- the diner and the actual town yeah. really reminds me of the diner and the town in Thor, funnily enough. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. yeah. I mean, these probably are all the fucking same sets. Um, probably the same lot, yeah. Uh, what also, what we'll say is... is uh, uh, what question we'll ask is... With Arnie being back now in in movies, and you know he's he said that you know now that he's he's no longer uh, involved in politics, that he is going to go back to being Arnold Schwarzenegger, the actor. Um, do you think this was a good sort of you know a good first return properly to sort of the the action film genre and being the leading man? Um, you know he did the Expendables and uh, the Expendables two. He had a heavier role in it. This was his first kind of big big return to leading man status. Um, would you like to see him continue in this, this action vein? Well, the, the thing is, I mean, like, the, the his next two roles sound like they're, they're, they're different enough and, 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 and from this. And it, it kind of sounds like, particularly uh, Ten, uh, which is directed by David Ayer, who directed End of Watch, um, it sounds like he's like he leads a team of corrupt DEA agents who start getting picked off one by one, and that just sounds really interesting. Mm, that sounds a yeah. bit like um, Commando too. Yeah, yeah. Except, except he is corrupt, you know. So that that could be good. And then the tomb, it's him playing second fiddle to Sylvester Stallone, and that could be very interesting. Yeah. So, like. Arnie being a number two to someone and that someone being Stallone. Whereas The Last Stand, it feels like a film where, like, he, he's. It, 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 I, I don't know, he didn't have to do too much, but when he does do the stuff himself, it's really satisfying. And I think that was a, a pretty good compromise for his, uh, for his, for his return. Yeah, and what I will say, I mean, um, it seems to me with sort of this and the, the films that he's coming up to doing um, that Schwarzenegger, what he's doing is he's making films now that he wants to make um, rather than before. He was very much making them um, to make the money. Um, you know, not saying that he always did films just for the cash, but he was doing stuff very much with a focus on, right, 
I need to position myself here so that the next film I make, I'm still the leading man. And he he, he didn't really very very rarely played second fiddle. Whereas now he's kind of he's got the freedom to go. Yeah, I want to do that. Or I want to go and do that. And I want I want to do that. And you know, he's working very much with people he likes. I mean, obviously he's working with Stallone again in there. They're very good friends. I mean, I remember reading a, a story. Uh, well, it was, it was an interview with uh, Stallone when he was making Rambo Four, um, and he said that every sort of every Sunday for years, um, he and um, Schwarzenegger would always meet and they'd have um, dinner and they'd have a cigar together in uh, Arnie's cigar room because they live quite close to each other apparently. Um, he's got a cigar. He's got room. a cigar room. And so they, Fuck, I love this man. They used to, they used to meet up for that. And of course, Fuck at me. the time, um, Schwarzenegger was, was still governor of California. Um, then Stallone went off to make um, Rambo um, 4 and was out in Cambodia or somewhere. But they, they filmed it in the end. And on the Sunday, apparently, Schwarzenegger just turned up um, on set waved at Stallone. Stallone kind of the sort of finished there and kind of went, went what, what the hell are you doing here? And he went, you can't fly halfway around the world to get out of Cigar Sunday. And gave the cigar <laughs> when... He dedicates a day of the week to cigars. <laughs> when, when Jesus. That, had a cigar um, and a, a drink with Stallone and they went back and got back on his plane and, swatched, and Stallone said, he literally, he spent almost a day flying just to have an hour and a half, two hours to chat with Stallone and have this cigar because that's what they do on Sundays. And apparently it's something they don't miss it. They do it every single Sunday. And I just thought that was, it was beautiful. And it just shows that that Schwarzenegger is this, you know, he is this great kind of very intelligent and, you know he knows his shit, and he he seems like a really nice guy. And I'm I'm just reading the the book Total Recall, and he comes across as just being a a, a genuinely nice guy that's had his faults. And I'm just with the last stand, I'm just fucking elated to have him back. Same here. And if he if he wants to do a, if he wants to do, go and do a comedy, I'd be fine with that as well because. I could I could cope with another uh, you know jingle all the way or another. Hey, well, triplets is coming. Oh, uh, you know. Oh, triplets! Yeah, I forgot about with, that. With Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? Fuck it! I'm up for that. Fuck it! Why not? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm hoping more than anything that because he's quite sort of in this film, he's quite stoic and serious. I'm hoping that whatever his next film is, we'll get to see him do is Arnie face, which is the fa- a face of his that I love, which is the face in Total Recall where he's pulling the thing out of his nose <laughs> or, the, or the face in um, in uh, da, 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 Kindergarten Cop where he goes, be quiet! Like that thing where <laughs> yeah, he's sort yeah. of like, where his, his, his lips sort of pull right back and you see his full teeth and he screws his eyes up. I love that face. It, so yeah, yeah it, whatever he does next, he has to do that face. Cool, right. So, um, in summarization of the last stand, we need to use our our quote that we used that we forgot to use last week, Ian, uh, which oh, was God, yeah. um, it, we basically say that was shit or that's definitely not shit. So, uh, Ian, what is what what do you think was uh, the last stand shit or definitely not shit? 
Well, the last stand contains the exchange, you fucked up my car. You fucked up my <laughs> day off. <laughs> uh, so for that alone, well, and a lot of other things, uh, the last stand is definitely not shit. No, is the last stand shit or definitely not shit? Well, you see, it also contains the line, who the fuck are you? I'm the sheriff. <laughs> for that reason, yeah. it's it's definitely not shit. Cool. And for many other reasons. Right, um, and obviously I'm going with uh, The Last Stand is definitely not shit. Um, so we're going to get a few promos, one where you might actually hear our guest voice on, uh, and then we're going to go into our one old... It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. For sake to manage it, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such an easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in English. That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could find any man in film who would it be and why my answer is Lance Henriksen oh. you, he wouldn't tell he looks like somebody <laughs> he looks like somebody who would keep, keep a secret one new of course uh, there were some promos for some kick ass podcasts um, and we're going to go to one old one new and as knows our guest we're going to let you choose do you want to do your one old or your one new first um, let me see. I will do my one old, um, because it involves a um, a person that was kind of around when I was growing up, but I think he was more of an American phenomenon than he was in the UK, and we kind of got little bits of him over here um, in terms of his sort of musical career, but he was never really a big name, um, and that would be Weird Al Yankovic. I watched uh, 1989's UHF. Um, which is directed by Jay Levy, um, who yeah, who's done a lot of other uh, Weird Al Yankovic stuff, including uh, his music videos. So yeah, um, 
For anybody not sort of familiar with Weirdal Yankovic, he's uh, he was around a lot in the 80s. He was very sort of connected with MTV and the sort of music video generation, and he would uh, basically do parodies of sort of uh, popular music and um, very silly parodies of stuff. Uh, I remember even as a kid um, seeing sort of like the video for uh, Eat It, which is his... Um, his parody version of Michael Jackson's Beat It. And I remember seeing that as a, as a really young kid and kind of thinking it was silly and, 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 and a bit stupid and not actually that funny. So, I mean, if I was thinking that at kind of eight or nine years old or whatever the hell I was, then, you know, um, how does he sort of stand up now? Um, the truth is not very well, to be honest with you. Um, I know UHF is a, is a film that probably a lot of people like. A lot of people are quite fond of Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, this... But for me, it, it didn't quite work. The, the story, just to, to uh, brief look at the story, is not really much of one. Um, he is a, uh, a guy who works in a burger, a burger joint, and him and his mate get sacked, and they are sort of shit out of luck. And then his rich uncle gives him a TV station that's a, a failing TV station that he won in a poker game. Um, and then Weird Al Yankovic basically is charged with the task of sort of putting stuff on TV and he puts whatever he likes on TV and he um, he, he employs the janitor to to, um, to, to do to do like a kid's show. Uh, the janitor is played by uh, everybody's favorite racist, Michael Richards. Um, and yeah, he's uh, it's a it's a big hit. And, uh, you know, obviously the ratings go through the roof and there's a there's a big evil um, network TV uh, company owner who's sort of like trying to close them down and, and chaos ensues. Um, it's kind of sprinkled with little bits of um, 80s pop culture references as well. So in many ways, it's like a sort of late 80s version of like a scary movie. It's that type of thing. You sort of halfway through a scene sort of um, uh, Yankovic will just turn up on screen and he's sort of made up as Rambo and he's doing really shit sort of like Sylvester Stallone impressions uh, and then there's, there'll just be a music video halfway through it that's like a parody song and, and uh, I think the, the one that I remember was uh, there's a parody version of Money for Nothing by uh, by Dire Straits so it's very you know it's very much stuff that's of its ta of its day um, so I think there is some joy to be taken in seeing parodies and piss takes out of stuff from back then because it's all stuff that you've not really seen parodied um because obviously it's, it's from that time um so yeah there's some interest in there but i think the main problem is is weird al yankovic isn't a very charismatic guy i don't think uh he's not a particularly good actor and i don't find him i don't find his comedy particularly alluring like it, it doesn't it doesn't really maybe it's just a personal thing everybody you know we all know comedy is completely subjective and there's there's people that will probably absolutely love uhf and love weird al yankovic but didn't quite work for me um it does have fran drescher in though who is very very hot um but that's about that's about uh, the best i can say about it really not that funny yeah it it it, it Yankovic is one of those guys where i, I think he's He's all right in small bursts, so mm. you know for you know, what he basically made his career out of was, was doing sort of like the parody songs and stuff like that. You know, he's it, it, all right for three and a half minutes, but you try and mm. put up with him for you know 
120 minutes and it, it yeah. starts to get a little bit thin. Uh, I would... it's, it's, that's definitely the word thin. Like, there's not very much to his stuff. Do you know what I mean? He, I think he's, he's one of those guys where you either really like him or you, you, you just you don't. You, you, it doesn't appeal. Either, you either like everything he does or you don't like him. A little bit like um, somebody I, I do like um, is um, Paulie Shaw. And I, I'm very much aware of that I'm the fact that I'm one of the only people on the planet that thinks Paulie Shaw is funny. And I, I kind of see it as Weird Al Yankovic was kind of like was kind of like a prototype for something like Paulie Shaw, yeah. where he's not actually funny, but he can be funny by not actually being funny. Mm. And he's a little bit like that. It's strange because I do really remember as a child, I remember him being... Um, it always felt like he was quite big in the States, but I'd, people here really weren't that... He, he, you know, apart from Eat It, which I think was a bit of a hit, that's really only the the coverage that he got in the UK. Because uh, I know he's done, like, tons of, of albums and parody albums. Um, but, yeah, it's just... I don't know. I, I don't... Like, silly humour isn't what makes me laugh. Like, I, I, without wanting to sound like, like a complete arsehole, just silliness doesn't really get me laughing as much as, like a well-written comedic scene, do you know what I mean? So this really is, is just not, not it's not meant for me, I don't think. So. No, I think I, I, I watched it years ago and, it, uh, and I've, I've not watched it again. So. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen it, Ian? Uh, sorry, I had my microphone muted and it took a little while for it to unmute. Um, no, I haven't. That's why I've stayed so quiet. Um, I barely... I know who Weird Al Yankovic is, but I have no real frame of reference whatsoever. It, it, to be honest, it sounds like something I'll never, ever see in my lifetime. It's probably the most disposable thing you would ever watch. Like, yeah. it's, it's so disposable. Um, and like I say, very often, you know, how we've sort of accused um, the scary movie films and, and any of the Wayans Brothers films... It, we've accused them of this in the past and it's like just showing something and showing me like just showing something and making me go oh that's that's familiar to me that's not enough like there needs to be a joke behind it as well and and a lot of that a lot of this is that it's just like weird al yankovic emerging from a forest dressed as rambo and i'm supposed to go ah, it's where he's dressed as rambo that's what rambo looks like <laughs> but it's actually just not that funny so you know. Yeah, it, it, it's presenting stuff and saying, oh, look how funny this is. And some people will go, yeah, it is, isn't it? And then laugh. Or and other people will laugh because that person's laughing. But when you actually go, yeah. well, why is it funny? That's when it kind of the whole thing kind of fucking unravels. Um, Ian, what is what is your one old or one new? I'll give, I'll give, I'll give you a choice. Okay, I'm going to go for my one new and... It's a film I watched about half of yesterday, then shut it off for a very specific reason, and then watched the rest of it today. Um, now, this is a film which seems to be rather loved, um, generally. Um, but i got to say, I don't really see it. Uh, this is Harold Ramis's Groundhog Day. What was that, what um, was that you said? Whoa. Uh, what was that you said? What film was that? Groundhog Day. And again? Groundhog Day. Yeah. Yeah, very 
Oh, sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> if that took me a little bit longer than it should have. Why yeah. is that all fucking there? <laughs> um, so, um... <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so Groundhog Day. Um, now, frankly, this film fails for one key reason. The, the plot of it is that Bill Murray is kind of stuck in this loop of having the report on... Um, uh, Groundhog Day, and you know, no matter how what he tries, he can't get out of this loop of reliving the day. Now, spoiler alert for Groundhog Day. Spoiler alert for Groundhog Day. The way he gets out of it is by having a very good day and pleasing everyone around him and getting off with Andy McDowell. Now, if I was ever in a situation where the only way of getting out of it was to get off with Andy McDowell. Uh, yeah, well, the only situation that I would do that in is if Andy McDowell was immediately killed afterwards. So Groundhog Day fails for the simple reason that I think Bill Murray's character was in a better position at the start of the film than he is at the end of the film. The arc that he goes through is essentially an anti-arc. He starts off as surly, sarcastic, in-it-for-himself Bill Murray... And he turns into loved by everyone, sees brightness in everything, wants to move to this small town and have babies with Andy McDowell. That's not a that's not a pleasing resolution. That's not what I I am happy with this being the end of the story. It doesn't give me a warm, fuzzy feeling. The start of the film gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling where Bill Murray is being sarcastic to everyone and a grouch. That I'm fine with. I'm not fine with him becoming lovable. That's not Bill Murray. I mean, he's lovably, he's a lovable dick, but he's not lovable. So that is my main problem with Groundhog Day. Also, the fact that, to be honest, Bill Murray aside, it's not that funny. Bill Murray has some good funny things to say, but again, it kind of gets watered down by the fact that he has to become nice by the end of the film. But I, 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 it, 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 the rest of it just doesn't make me laugh. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski, who some people appear to basically want to blow, um, cough slash film cast cough, um, it, it, like, it is just really, really broad and fingers on chalkboards. And that's kind of the point of his character. But like, I'll, I'll take him accidentally killing his wife in Memento. Thank you very much. Um, I, 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 I just... Uh, and the anti uh, Andy McDowell, anti McDowell, Andy McDowell is anti charisma. She is a, a black hole of everything good, she, as um, she is in every she is, movie yeah. she's ever been. I in. mean, there's a, yeah. I, I, I think I tweeted you last night about this. Um, there are uh, two people, two actresses out there that I have a severe problem with: um, Julie Roberts, which is one of them, and the other one is Andy McDowell which is greeted by the fact that any time I watch a film with Andy McDowell, whenever she comes on screen, I have this weird tick of going, fuck you, Andy McDowell, every time she comes on screen, which gets quite annoying, um, to be honest. But she's so, so bland. It's, it's ama- it amazing. The one thing about Andy McDowell, without this turning into the anti-Andy McDowell podcast... It can but, do, but happily. Uh, yeah, well, I could ru- we could run a separate one on we that. Could. But, um yeah, I think the one thing that I've always had with Andy McDowell is I've just never been able to understand who made the decision to like allow her to be an actress. I've got yeah. no, she's just zero charisma. She, she's she's like looking at a, just a a blank 
canvas. There, there's nothing. just nothing it, there it is at looking all. At a nothing. Yeah. It is, yeah. And also, as well, I, I don't like anybody that essentially has kept the same hair for over twenty years, and she she has. And the problem is, is is it's she's basically she's traded off the fact that she was actually quite good um, in sex lies and videotape. But the problem is, she was good because that was a well-written character for her. Um, they basically wrote the character so it was her. And all she's done since is play that character in everything. You will not find a, an Andy McDowell performance where her, for her film where her character has a single flaw. She's always perfect in every single fucking film. She, yeah, she, I, I mean, and thankfully now she just seems to appear in makeup commercials every now and then, and that's about it, and that's that's absolutely fine by me. It, it just, I don't know, like, the, the fact that people seem to really genuinely get on board with this film, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, f- fuck me, I turned it off and then watched the entirety of Star Trek Nemesis last night, and that's not a good film. But at least it's not Andy McDowell in Groundhog Day, <laughs> you, you know. I mean, it just, it, yeah. I mean, I mean I, and I watched the rest of it, and I mean, there, there are moments, you know. I mean, like it, it, it admir- it's admirably dark in in spaces. Like there's a it, like an entire five minute sequence where Bill Murray is basically just trying to kill himself in a variety of different ways, but in the kind of the deadpan, snarky Bill Murray way. Like there's a moment where he grabs a toaster off of old woman and then just like and, and, and then tries to kill himself with it which is which is great um you know it, it, it like I, I i like the way that it it does play up the him having to relive this every single day and the fact that like sometimes like while he's there's like a whole long sequence in the middle where he's trying to fuck andy mcdowell basically and it keeps on replaying and replaying and then by the end of it, he's just manic and just like wanting to go through the motions and like saying everything he's supposed to say, but doing it really quickly. And that weirds her out. It's like that kind of thing is quite clever. And it, it, but the thing is, it's like either don't cast Bill Murray, cast someone who I don't care if they get Andy with Andy McDowell in the end. Because genuinely, by the end, I was upset for Bill Murray's character that he's saying, oh, let's move here and. Uh, you know shaking everybody's hand and all that it's just like no no you're not a small town guy this isn't you i mean like the end of scrooge for example like he turns into a nice guy but he's still got that side of him where he's still being a little shit and he's still fucking about with people whereas in this it's like it's bill murray actually trying to play i'm a changed man and it doesn't really work um, so yeah, I was really, really disappointed with Groundhog Day. I'll never watch it again, um, n- unless I unless there's a cut, cut the Phantom Edit style cut that removes Andy McDowell. <laughs> there should be. There really should be. I, I, I think that there's always one. I mean, I, I I don't mind Groundhog Day. I don't. For instance, I own a lot of, of movies, and I don't own Groundhog Day. So it's one of those films where, you know. If I happen to find myself watching it, I, you know, I can have enough fun with it. But I would never choose to kind of watch it again. There's a great line where Andy McDowell's character says, "So you're telling me you're God?" And Bill Murray responds with, "I'm not the God. I'm 
I think I've air god. And that that line delivery is just brilliant, classic Bill Murray. But uh, one one great line does not make a movie. Um, mm. See, I'm a, I'd say I'm, I I like I like Groundhog Day, but I do feel that it's pretty. It's a bit more highly regarded than I think it deserves to be. And I think the main problem with the film is that it relies a bit too much on Bill Murray. And you know, like you've kind of hinted at, you take that away, and what is the you know? So, but it's it's a, it's okay. It's I think nowadays it's kind of like it's it's ITV two fodder. It's you know, it's it's something that will just if it's on. I could watch half an hour of it, but it's still not in the league of, you know, it's it's not in the league of, of Bill Murray's best stuff. It's no, you know, it's not what about Bob. It's not Scrooged. It's 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 just, uh, but it does surprise me that it's so so highly regarded. I mean, strangely as well, I mean, that this film is in the National Film Register. Oh, God, really? Honestly, yeah, it is. Um, and I'm and, and checking now, and do you know what? This is in the National Film Register, and Ghostbusters isn't. Fucking what? I know, I'm not joking. Honestly. Who directed it? It's not... Is this Ivan Reitman? That's no, it's Howard Ramis. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's in... It, that's in... This is the National Film Register, and Ghostbusters isn't. Um, so, yeah. Make that what you will. Uh, right, I don't know whether to give you... My, my, one of my old or my new... Uh, my old is a brilliant film uh, and my new is not a brilliant film which one i think you should save your new right my old um is a film that i i haven't watched um let's just say there were people who who weren't born who can now drink um since the last time i watched this film um it stars mel gibson who i disliked before it was cool to dislike mel gibson and it stars Danny Glover, uh, his Lethal Weapon, which I last watched when I was 12, so it's like 18 years ago. Um, I remember thinking it was all right um, and liking it, you know, very much in the same sort of vein as, as something like Die Hard. Now, I watch Die Hard at least twice every Christmas because it's a Christmas movie. I forgot that Lethal Weapon actually was a Christmas movie. Um so I went into it last night. Um, my wife was out. My daughter was out. I thought, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have myself a little Chinese food feast, and I'm gonna watch an action film. I've got the Lethal Weapon Blu-ray box set. I'm, I'm gonna give Lethal Weapon another spin. That'll be good, kind of, you know, man at home on his own watching, right? Why is it taking me 18 years to watch this film again? It is. Fucking brilliant! Um, fucking, I'm astounded. I this now this is gonna be added to one of those films where I watch it at least two or three times every fucking year. Um, I'm not gonna go through the story because I'm guessing everybody else in the fucking world knows you know the story inside out, which I basically I all I could remember is it's got Mel Gibson in it. He's a little bit heartbroken because his wife's died, and Danny Glover plays an older. Um, cop who is kind of close to retirement. Um, he's a little bit heartbroken. He nearly shoots himself at the start. Well, yeah. he's, he's a little bit. Well, heartbroken. That, that's it. But I'm just saying what my memory of it was. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. And then went into it and was like, right, there we go. But in my brain, um, Mel Gibson was a douchebag in this film, and he's not. He's actually a really nice guy. He's just fucking heartbroken because his wife's died. Um, and then it started flashing up, and I was like, oh, fuck, Gary Boosie's in it. 
Uh, oh, Tom Atkins is in it. Oh, fucking hell. And then it starts going. And then I remembered, oh, shit, yeah, this is a Shane Black film. And then, oh, yeah. And I was like, and, you know, I, I fucking adore Shane Black. You know, still adore um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang's a brilliant film. Uh, Last Boy Scout. Old Kiss Goodnight. Last Action Hero. All these, these are great films. And, you know, it, it only hit me when I started. I thought, oh, God, yeah, it's a Shane Black film. Which, when it's a Shane Black film, you're instantly hit with, this is actually, you know, this is, this, it's, it, it, it's a level up in action film writing. You know, he writes, you know, quite dark moments into his action films. And they've always got quite sort of dark undertones. But they also have some of the greatest off-cut comments. Um, and, you know, he writes great masculine characters, but also, you know, he makes them human, you know, in a very similar way to what Walter Hill can do and what Sam Peckinpah could do. He has that kind of skill. Um, Gibson is an absolute powerhouse of a performance in this film. The scene where he's, um, where he's sat in his, uh, in his, you know, his static caravan, you know, and he's, he's, loading the gun up to shoot himself. I mean, that is... That's fucking tense, and it's beautifully played. And then you've got the scene later on where they're at the firing range, and they're working out a scenario between them, and they're bouncing off each other, and then they call up the the shot things and show it to each other, and then Glover's like, right, I'll show you what I can do. And he he, he shoots, and uh, Gibson goes, oh, that's great, I'll show you what I can do. And he pressing the button and you're just seeing it going back and Gibson's kind of like humming that tune and kind of bouncing and then it keeps going further and further back and then he shoots it and then starts bringing it back and he's still kind of humming the tune then shows you it and it's the smiley face and it's just that you know it it instantly now has jumped into that is one of my favourite scenes now in cinema history it is just absolute gold because it is these two guys who they didn't really they didn't not get on they're just gibson is not in a good place and danny glover can see that gibson is not in a good place and doesn't want it to get him killed and then it's during that firing range scene it's the first moment where they really start to connect together and they start to realize that actually they're both on the same kind of wavelength and it, it's wonderful and then you get um there's a scene later on where uh, Mel Gibson's strung up wearing just a pair of jeans and he, 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 he's, he's very wet because they're coming in water to give him um, electro-shock sort of fucking torture. I'm not going to lie, it moved. More than once, I felt it move because he's a fucking good-looking man, is Mel Gibson, isn't he? Even with the 80s hair. And when you soak him down, he's a good-looking man. That's quite the confession, Mark. Fair play. I, I, I don't mind. I have more man crushes than I have woman crushes nowadays. <laughs> um, but, God, I mean, I'll, I'll let you guys sort of see what you think of this film, but when you mix Gibson on fire, and he is absolutely on fire in this movie, um, when you mix that with the writing of, of Shane Black, and, you know... Shane Black hasn't actually written that many films, and Shane Black was considerably younger than all we are now when he wrote this movie. You know, I mean, he was 26 when this movie was released, and apparently he wrote it a couple of years before. So he was in his early 20s, and this is 
one of the finest written action movies I think I've ever seen. Um, and like I say, I remember watching this at 12, and I basically, I remember watching it. I didn't remember what happened. Um, and my God, it's a great film. And also as well, uh, Richard Donner has a very kind of noiristic way of kind of framing this, and it's very 80s, but it's very... He's got a lot of control over it, and it, it, it looks brilliant. And the fact that Donner directs all of the Lethal Weapon films, um, I think it, it is something to look forward to, because I've seen... I remember two better than I remember one, and I remember three better than I remember um, two and one, and I don't think I've ever seen number four, so I'll be going through them in the next couple of weeks. But, yeah, my God, I, I, I fucking enjoyed Lethal Weapon. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on it? Um, I'm a big fan. It's not been 18 years, but it has been quite a while. Um, And it's definitely something that that I think is is due a rewatch from me. I'm a huge fan of it. I love Shane Black's uh, writing style. Um, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of the the, the funniest and best action movies of of the last, you know, 10 or 20 years for me. I think it's absolutely cracking. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And, you know, the fact that we're now... um, just three months away from him directing a new Iron Man movie is just... You can imagine that I am suitably moist about that fact. Oh, so. mate, you're going to be a nightmare <laughs> yeah, in the days yeah. leading up to that. Fucking hell. But I am I'm so supremely confident in that film. Like, I I would be hugely surprised if that film does... Let's, uh, if that film lets me down. And, you know, the main reason for that, really, is Shane Black. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, it's a brilliant film lethal weapon I, I loved it as a kid and um i have seen it many many times i think with the, the sequels i think they f- they they each fall off just a little bit as they go along but i think they are all quite solid um you know i don't think any of them are terrible anyway uh the, the fourth one uh, Rennie russo was a, a bit great in it as the sort of uh the pregnant wife if that's the right one but um yeah, in general, it's a fairly solid. Uh, it's a fairly solid series that, and I'd be, I'd be happy to see another one if it ever happens. Before, before I get your views on it, on on this weapon, Ian, just what I also want to say is there's a great kind of actual sort of fight scene at the end where uh, Mel Gibson's fighting Gary Busey, and after he's kind of kicked his ass and doesn't kill him, um, he kind of he goes up to Danny Glover and he's kind of like hunched over and kind of falling over, and Danny Glover basically just sort of puts a coat around him and just puts his arm around him. And it's it's that kind of moment that in sort of like the very kind of macho um, 80s where, it, you know, it wasn't... You didn't see a lot of sort of things like that, you know, the sort of the fragility of man kind of thing uh, like that, where Gibson is basically just exhausted and just... He just drapes over uh, Danny Glover, who basically just sort of grabbing hold of him, uh, you know, in this very kind of tender, sort of fatherly way. And it was just that fucking, it nearly broke me, that. Yeah, I, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it, it's been, um, it's been a few years since I've seen Lethal Weapon now, actually, but, um, yeah, I mean, that, that fight in the, the rain in the, on the lawn at the end is pretty fucking incredible. Um, I, 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 I do you know what? I mean, I, I need to um, go back through the Lethal Weapon films. I mean, all I really remember about Lethal Weapon 2, and this is a lot of this is thanks to film junk, frankly, but diplomatic immunity, um, you know, which is is fantastic. And the start of Lethal Weapon 2 is pretty great as well, with the dude with the um, the flamethrower. 
Um, it, it, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I like Lethal Weapon. That because um, I know you tweeted out that picture of that Lethal Weapon box set, Mark. Yes. Um, and it, it's like I would like to get that, but I think there's gonna be a new version of that with like new features and shit coming out this year. Uh, because it's like Warner's 100th anniversary. I know there's a new Mad Max Blu-ray box set coming out, and I swear they said there's going to be a Lethal Weapon one as well. So I'm kind of. What I will I'm, say I'm, is this is pretty fucking loaded with features. Already. Yeah, is it really? these are oh, just like straight off the fucking shelf catalog, you know, titles. You know, there are there's there's a full disc of uh, bonus features, and there's bonus features on each of the the DVD, the Blu-ray as well. And I got this from Sainsbury's for a tenner. What, the that's, box set? Yeah, the box Wow, set. that's Fucking hell, that's good. decent. You know, that's, that's what I thought, fuck it. You know, for, for four films where I know at least two of them are fucking solid, you know, that's that's really decent. But yeah, there's there's a lot, including a, including a documentary uh, called Maximum Impact, The Legacy of Lethal Weapon. You know that there's some pretty fucking strong content on this, so I'd I'd say to be honest, I'd pick this up for a fucking tenner. Yeah, if I well, yeah, if I saw it for a tenner, I'd buy it. Yeah, fair play. Oh, that's good, man. Two fifty a film. Exactly. You know, oh yeah, I'd fucking kick ass. Uh, right, uh, no. Uh, what's your what's your new film that you want to discuss? Okay, well, my new film. It's uh, the only other film that I've really watched this week. That's uh, well. Not that isn't a VHS tape anyway. Um, is a movie I was expecting to enjoy. I won't talk about it for too long because probably a lot of people talking about it at the moment because it's been nominated for so many Oscars. It's a movie I was expecting to enjoy, but I wasn't quite expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, and that's uh, David O. Russell's uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Um, so yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, it's basically. Bradley Cooper plays a guy who has been in a mental institution for for some time. He's had a nasty breakup with his, uh, I think it's his, I think it's his wife. Um, yeah, it's, it's his wife. Um, and he gets out, and he's all about trying to, you know, positive mental attitude, and he wants to fix himself and prove to his his ex-wife that, uh, or his estranged wife, I should say, that, um, you know, he's he's on the mend and he's better and stuff like that. Um, he's kind of set up, sort of. Uh, by a friend of his with Jennifer Lawrence, who uh, her husband um, died in recent years, and um, she's kind of been getting over that and not dealing with it very well, and she's uh, been sort of looking for attention in all the wrong places uh, and stuff. And it's basically a love, it's basically their love story and what goes on with them um, and how they sort of, you know, how Bradley Cooper is forced to sort of like he's forced to realize that the you know he was right for breaking up with his wife and it wasn't right and this is you know jennifer lawrence is is the person for him um it's really 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 enjoyable um bradley cooper's great in it um but for me jennifer lawrence was astoundingly good in this um it's been nominated for like eight oscars um and i was very surprised at that before seeing it i was very much like you know i can't really understand why a film of this nature which feels quite light um would be nominated for so many oscars i don't necessarily think it's a best picture uh, or anything like that but it's you know it's 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 certainly a a, a 
an awards-worthy movie, I'd say. Um, and I will be absolutely rooting for uh, for, for Jennifer Lawrence for the um, for the for the best actress. She has been nominated for best. Yeah, actress, she has. Yeah. She? yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She's basically the sure thing as yeah. well. Like she is going to win. Um, I mean, like I know there's been some talk about Jessica Chastain, but um, nah, it's going to be Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah I think it's yeah. certain. Um, I, I think I, I spoke about this film a couple of weeks on the podcast. I'm exactly the same as you. Won't know. I I expected to to like it. Yeah, but I absolutely adored it. I thought it was wonderful. Like you say, I thought Bradley Cooper is very good in it. I thought De Niro was fantastic in it. Um, but Jennifer Lawrence, it's her film, and she is magnificent. Um, and so is her bottom. Oh, she's gorgeous. she is she is. Um, yeah, but I, I think the thing is with it is I put it on sort of on a par in many respects with like something like Five Hundred Days of Summer, where it's it's a great date movie. Um, it's a great sort of it's a great movie to watch with your misses but there's more there do you know what I mean it's like that there is a lot there are richer characters there and there are richer stories there uh, and and there there is a a, a richer cinematic experience there um, than you know than whatever it is that Catherine Heigl's in that week so it, it feels like a great movie to watch with the misses but uh, you know, like I say, there's a lot more there. Claire really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I'd highly, highly recommend it. Uh, really enjoyable stuff. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, nice. I, I loved it as well. Thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I will be rooting like you for Jennifer Lawrence, but I think like like um, Ian says, I think it's pretty much like her and Anne Hathaway are pretty much in the bag to be honest. Mm. Uh, they're, they're 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 the two locks. I don't think anything else is a lock. Maybe Daniel uh, Daniel Day Lewis, maybe, but like those two are the two locks for the Oscars. Yes, yeah, certainly. Right, Ian, what is your your old film that you want to chat about? Um, I don't know which one to go for actually, but um, uh, fucking shit. Um, all right, let's go with. Um... Sorry, I thought that sounded like uh, the the tenacious D moment there, where he said, "Ah." Fuck my ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, oh, being compared to Jack Black, that's nice. Um, <laughs> uh, I will go... Oh, fucking letterboxed, man. It's down at the moment as well. Um, I've been going through the Indiana Jones films um, uh, this week, and um, I will direct folks to my article on Blogomatic 3000 because I realised half an hour into Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that I'd actually never seen it before. Um, what? So really? I, yeah. Honestly. Fuck, how did yeah. that happen? I don't know. That's bizarre. I've, I've definitely seen all the other three before, but I got about half an hour into it and I was just like, I don't remember a fucking thing about this. <laughs> and wow. like I, and then I just thought, well, hang on, it's probably yeah, I've definitely never seen it before. So um yeah, uh, I I could have talked about that on one new, but I wanted to have a bitch about Groundhog Day, so I direct you to my article on Blogger Matty Three Thousand. What I will talk about though is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, which which kind of it almost feels like it's just been forgotten. Good, really. You know, like the whole kind of the hotly anticipated new instalment, which turns out to be meh. You know, it, it like last year, obviously Prometheus was the big one with that. It, it was huge. And the, 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 you know what the terrible thing is? I own Prometheus, and when I get my 3D TV this week, I'm probably going to rewatch it again 
I'm going to watch Prometheus for the fourth time because I'm a fucking idiot. You are a fucking idiot. Well done. Uh, You're basically going to spend another hour and 45 minutes going, why the fuck am I doing this? And even though, actually, I, I, do you know what? I take that back because I, I have both Dial M for Murder, Hitchcock's, and Creature from the Black Lagoon in, uh, the, in the Hitchcock and the Universal Monsters box sets, respectively, that are 3D Blu-rays. So I'll probably watch those, and I'll probably watch my John Carter 3D Blu-ray oh, as well. Nice. Because after, yeah, that's because after, like. after you were talking about that on Heroes yesterday, Noel, I am really, really itching for a John Carter rewatch. So yeah, I'll probably do that. But anyway, um, King of the Crystal Skull. So yeah, and just going back to Prometheus, you know, with that, and obviously with the Star Wars prequels and how everybody shits on them, King of the Crystal Skull does just feel like it's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. You never really see anyone actually talking about it or really bring it up it is like the dirty little secret and going back and watching it i mean i watched raiders uh, i got the indiana jones blu-ray box set which by the way image quality and the audio on those fucking things is amazing indiana jones and the last crusade the 5.1 audio in that sounds better than pretty much any like 5.1 soundtrack i've ever heard it is amazing uh, so the Blu-ray box set, high recommend just for the the, the transfers. But um, yeah, so I I, re- I watched Raiders Lost Art Boxing Day, and I finally got around to watching the, the other three this this past week. And you know, watching them in 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 order, like it, the thing is, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull kind of slightly almost gets a pass from me, but doesn't just because it's nice to have Indiana Jones on the screen again for a couple of hours. You know, that the, the nostalgia, the, the warmth that you just get from having that character around is almost enough to actually get you through the film. Um, and I, I, I also the action, even though a lot of it is brutally green screeny, uh, the, the jungle truck chase, just it all looks like it's in a studio. And that's one key criticism of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. None of it looks like it's actually shot outdoors. Whereas all the other films obviously have wide epic vistas. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it all looks like it's on a stage and then like digitally painted in after. It, it's brutal. Um, but the action is is well shot. Um, Shia LaBeouf is not as bad as I remember him being, at least after his first couple of scenes. Like his first couple of scenes are basically he's a costume in search of a character. You know, like the first shot of him is riding in with that Marlon Brando hat like he's in the fucking wild mm. one. And it's it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, and, but I mean, he gets there, you know, and I mean, like by the time he's like sword fighting with Kate Blanchett, I've kind of I've kind of forgiven it. Um, but worst thing about King of the Crystal Skull for me, and I'd be intrigued to see what you guys think about this. The relationship between Harrison Ford and Karen Allen. <laughs> Yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. It's brutal. I mean, one, Karen Allen just looks like like she hasn't, she's been caged up and hasn't seen anyone for years. Oh, and she's just, yeah, 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 just, hi, hi, yeah, I'm back. Hi, hi, Harrison, hi. No, what are we going to do now? Ah, oh, I love me so much. Yeah, it, it, it is a little bit like the first thing she said to them was, why is it no answering to my calls? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like she's just got this manic smile on her face for like pretty much the entire thing. But the thing is, it like Marion in Raiders of the Lost Ark is a great character. She's like tomboyish and like she 
it really she's feels sassy like... and she moves slowly and she's like she's feisty in in the and that's just completely missing and the, and the, yeah exactly yeah yeah and they're, they're like they're drinking people under the table and towards the end of raiders where like she goes like do you want to go for a drink you know a drink and it's just like oh you just want to the bad doors off of her there and then, you know. So I mean, it, it just it, it that's Marion Ravenwood, and she's great. And then in the other two, you know, Willie Scott is fucking terrible. And then Elsa Schneider in Last Crusade is uh, these are character names, not actor names. But um, even though the actress in Last Crusade is played by a, 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 she's called Alison Doody, which is <laughs> great. Um, and I mean, like she's actually pretty good in Last Crusade as well. But then Marion's back in this one, and it's basically she's pissed off with Indy. Indy flirts with her a bit. Basically, her pants get wet, and then throughout the entire thing, she's back into Indy again straight away. And it's just like, boom! You've gone from having a character defined by herself and her own personality and her own heroics to a character who's completely defined by the men around her. Whether it's giving Shia LaBeouf shit for like coming to save her, or basically swooning over Indy, it's insulting. It's really, really insulting to that character. And if Karen Allen had not just been locked up in a cupboard for the last 20 years, she might have actually had the strength to actually say, hang on a second, this isn't right with her character. This isn't right what we're doing with her at all. Um I mean, what, I mean, I, I take it you guys basically agree, do you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I was, like many, I was very much looking forward to um, King of the Crystal Skulls. I love the Indiana Jones movies. Um, they're great, kind of, they're great sort of Sunday afternoon family films. Um, I, I remember all of them quite fondly. Uh, and then uh, was, I, I was just shocked at how bad King of the Crystal Skull was. Um, I, I just there, there are. I have so many issues with it. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I. It, it, uh, sorry, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, I actually only watched it uh, some point, uh, uh, sort of maybe about early to midway through last year. I actually hadn't. I didn't see it. Um, I didn't see it in cinemas. I'm not a huge Indiana Jones fan. I think they're okay movies. I've not, you know, I've talked before. I, they're just not something that I go back to and have a lot of warmth for necessarily. Um, so I wasn't, be, you know, I wasn't dying to see this new Indiana Jones movie when it came out. And for that reason, when the the really poor reviews came out, I was just like, oh, well, I'll bother with it then. And then at one point, I was just like, well, I should just check it out. And um, you know, this was sort of last year, as I say. And I was very. I basically went into it thinking, well, it can't be that bad. It's, you know, it'll, it'll at least be likable like the other Indiana Jones movies are. But I was shocked. Like I was, re- I remember being really shocked watching it and just being like, wow, it really is. It's quite bad. This isn't it. And um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I probably dislike it a little bit more than you, Ian. Um, it's, it's, it's not a great, it's, it's, it's not, it's not great at all. Yeah, I mean, like the the only reason why I almost give it a pass is because Harrison Ford is good in it. I mean, he's awake, uh, which yeah. you can't you can't say for a lot of Harrison Ford performances these days. But he he genuinely like he he's always seemed to have a love for Indiana Jones that he's never had for the Star Wars films, and and that comes across on screen, you know. Um, I, I, I mean, I I I, I like 
the sci-fi elements in this. I like that it's not just being Nazis or or, 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 or anything again. I mean, okay, it's got commies, but at least it's, you know, with a bit of alien-y hijinks as well. Um, even though I will also say as well, John Hurt, they may as well just have got some babbling bloke from an insane asylum, you know, to, to play that role. They could have saved themselves a few million dollars and it would have been just as effective. Like, that. that's... That's a terrible, terrible role for John Hurt, and um, yeah, I don't know. I suppose, I suppose I'm done really. But it, it's just, it, you know, it's the indie score. It's indie being indie. Um, he's swinging around on a whip, and you've got the whip sound, and you know, it, it just, it, it, it pushes those nostalgia buttons enough for me to to get away with it. And um, I, but I mean, I, I, I put on Letterbox two point five out of five. Which is probably actually incredibly charitable. It is but, incredibly charitable. But hey, <laughs> I'm being whipped by him. That's that's all I can say. <laughs> you got whipped into an Indiana Jones frenzy. I did. I did. Do I have to talk about my next one? Yes. Yes. What the fuck is it? Right. I again. I right. I have this thing where, you know, if you see a poster... Stop explaining. What is it? It's, it's, it's so undercover. It's that shit. I don't think either of you have heard of it. Oh, is that the Hillary Duff? No, that's worse. I'll, I'll give you a run... Miley so I'll give you a run so on the cast. It, it stars Miley Cyrus, Jeremy Piven, and oh, Kelly Osbourne. Right? And um, here, here is the plot. And I'm going to read you the plot synopsis directly off Wikipedia. Right? Just because just it, will, it will cover it better than I can. Right? Miley Cyrus says Molly Morris, a private investigator who's chose to leave high school to work with her dad, a former police officer. Together their days are filled with busting, cheating spouses and taking down petty thieves. However, her life is unexpectedly changed when she's approached by an FBI agent to go undercover in the one place they're unable to infiltrate, a world she knows nothing about, college. Yep, Miley Cyrus basically plays a tough, ass-kicking teen um, private eye who has to go and be a sorority girl to look after somebody there to um, to protect something that she doesn't know what it is, but we're not actually sure whether or not the girl who's protecting it knows what it is for somebody that I couldn't quite work out who they were, right? This The plot for this film is so thin that... They just go, yeah, well, it, 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 there's an FBI guy and just witness and some stuff and boom, she's at college. That's that's about it. It is... <laughs> right, my Cyrus, uh, do you know what? Uh, my daughter used to really like the Hannah Montana series sort of four or five years ago, so I've watched a lot of that and I found it quite inoffensive, found her quite inoffensive. And in this... You know, she's she's perfectly passable. You know, she's not, she's never really annoying. Um, you know, you've got Kelly Osborne for that. Kelly Osborne, who, what I will say is, Kelly Osborne actually, despite the fact that she spent the majority of her life in America, has an English accent, right? But she puts on an English accent in this. Instead of just talking like Kelly Osborne would talk, she puts on a clipped English accent, which makes her sound even more retarded than she normally would. And her character has no reason for even being in the film at all. 
She could have played any one of the other characters. There's a love interest which has no point at all, apart from the fact that she punches the guy a few times. Jeremy Piven is... Jeremy Piven seems to do movies just for a paycheck. But I would have liked it if he'd have just phoned it in. But he doesn't. He seems to really get on board with this. In a not going like crazy, but just being generally Jeremy Piven in it. Um, and I would have preferred it if he just kind of turned up and kind of said his lines and then did shit. But he looks like like he's act- like he actually thinks this is a movie he should try with. And it is... You know, I originally got to watch it with my daughter because I thought, right, I'll watch it because it's the sort of thing she might like. Uh, Izzy watched it and I said to her, what did you think? And she went, oh my God, that was so bad. She said, right, it, it, it was it? She said, yeah, it, it, it's terrible. Why Why did you make me watch that? I was like, oh shit. Well, now I want to watch that to see how bad it is. It is just, it is so fucking pointless. You watched the film because your daughter said it was shit. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, Mark, you know, I, you know, I like you, mate. I, I, you're, you're a good guy, and I like you. But as soon as you said Miley Star, Miley Cyrus stars as Molly Morris, a private investigator, I wanted to tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> and you know what? I, I blamed <laughs> you. I, I watched this at work and sat down and watched it. And all the time I watched it, I was thinking. There's, there's so many other things I could be doing. I, I, I could be doing actual work at the moment rather than doing this. Um, but it, it, it's now it's it's now hit me um, that I have watched um, every single Miley one, Cyrus two. movie. Oh fuck, I have as well. Oh god, oh, have you seen yeah. In Lot? Yeah. Oh Jesus, Mark. Oh fuck. I was hoping that I'd go and I could say, I've watched like four Miley Cyrus movies, but I've, I've just looked and I've seen every Miley Cyrus movie. Right, okay, <laughs> let's pull up IMDb, because you obviously deserve some shit for this. Yeah, um, you do, I... Right. I, I, I'm looking at Wikipedia, so I'm going to pull up IMDb as well. Oh, shit, this is... Well, she was in Big Fish. Yeah, watch that. Right, High okay. Musical 2. Seen that. Anna um, Montana and Miley Cyrus, the best of both worlds concert. Seen that. Oh. Um, Bolt. Seen it. Hannah Montana and the movie. Seen it. The last song. Seen it. Based Low. on a novel. Based on a novel by uh, Nicholas Sparks, I think, as well. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. And LOL. Yep, seen it. You've seen every single Miley Cyrus movie, you, Mark. You missed that. Wait, 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 wait. I've got one. That you, I've got one that you haven't seen. What? Justin Bieber, never say never. I have seen it. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, I've seen Justin Bieber, yeah, never say never. Yeah, um, I, I've also seen Sex in the City 2, which she has a cameo in that as well. Fucking hell, I've seen every Miley Cyrus movie. Oh, that's bad. That is so bad. The thing, the, right, the, the thing is, Mark, like, did, did you watch all of these with Izzy? Wait. One, two. I watched Big Fish, not with Izzy, but that's Big Fish. I watched House of Music 2 with Izzy, Hannah Montana, Bull, um, Justin Bieber, um, and Lol with Izzy. Uh, right. But, uh, the last song, did you watch the last song with Becky? No. You watched the last song by yourself? I, was, I flicked onto it as it was starting uh, on Sky, and I just ended up watching it rather than actually sat down to watch it. I have a problem. <laughs> 
I watch bad movies. I have a thing where if someone says something's really shit, I instantly want to watch it. Mark, you've seen every single Miley Cyrus movie. Yeah, I know. That's fucking really bad, isn't it? Right. I bet you've also seen the episode of Two and a Half Men she's in called You Do Know What the Lollipop Is For. Yeah, I have, yeah. (laughs) No, shut up, you have. fucking have. Yeah, I do. She sat outside on one of the, on like a sun lounger for a lot of it, chatting to Charlie Sheen, which she mocks for being a bit of a a sleaze ball. What the fuck? You know what? I've only, yeah, I, I think I've actually seen. I've that. only seen three episodes of, t- of of Two and a Half Men, and that's one of them. I would all right, all right. I would also I I'd probably say I've seen ninety percent of Hannah Montana as well. Yeah, but the thing is, though, like you, you would have watched those with Izzy. I'm, a, I'm, I'm fucking hoping. Yeah, the majority of them. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that that's an excuse. You know, I mean, Christ, when Noel and I have have kids, you know, separately, obviously, one day. Um, it's just, that fucking came well, out I weird. St- Sorry. <laughs> um, I still um, live in Hopi, and I still yeah, well, live in Hopi. yeah. You know, as soon as um, as soon as men can get pregnant, I'll yeah. um, I'll, I'll provide some sperm. Um, you know, it, it, it um. Yeah, I mean, we'll. I'm sure we will watch an awful lot of shit. You know, I'm sure we will watch stuff that will make our eyes bleed. But the like, the thing is, you, the last song was starting on Sky Movies, and you thought, "Fuck it, I'll just watch this." No, I, just, I ended up. What I ended up, it was Sky Movies, the emporium of like a dozen films on at once. Yeah, no. But someone said it was really shit, so I had to see it, see if it was as shit as people said. I, I understand that impulse. I mean, fuck me, we've both seen Keith Lemon, the film. Yeah. So I understand that impulse. But it's it's almost like it's a weird OCD that, like, in the back of your mind, unconsciously, you knew, hang on a second, this is another Miley Cyrus film <laughs> I can say. Mm-hmm. It, do you know what? It probably is. It prob- That is staggering. It is. I mean, it's just like, it's not like she's only done two or three films. She's done a number of films, and you've seen them all. And none of them are good. Not a single one of them's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, moving on. Um, no, our discussion topic, because I just want to move away yes. from the fact that I think that's some kind of weird Miley Cyrus fetish. I think you should fucking go and sit in the corner for the rest of the <laughs> No, no, no. Um, Gremlins remakes. Um... Well, yeah. So <laughs> well, I mean, I'll it's, let you lead it's, this one. <laughs> it's one of those that's it's one of those things that's come up time and time again. Um, not just the story of remakes, but the story, the idea of a Gremlins remake. And last year there was a news article that was basically saying this would never go ahead without um, without Steven Spielberg's permission. Um, and now the 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 rumours seem to be that Warner Brothers is currently in talks with Steven Spielberg to see about making this happen. Now, this is one of those... I, I've, I've relaxed an awful lot on remakes. I used to be quite hard on the idea of remakes and the fact that everything was being remade and a lot of my favourite films had been remade and, you know, I didn't... I hated The Last House on the, the Left remake and... Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and stuff like that. So, but I've relaxed over the years because basically I think there's been some cracking remakes. Um, I think I spit on your face. I, I spit on your face. I, on your- <laughs> I think I spit on your grave. 
I spit on your face. <laughs> um, I think I spit on your grave was was a great remake. Um, I think Maniac is is awesome. Um, and there have been some there have been some decent remakes. Um, but unfortunately, I think Gremlins is just one of those that just it should it feels like it should just be left alone because it is such a it is kind of it was then and it is what it, it it was what it was then and it needs to sort of stay in that place and i think i think back to the future is another example of that um i think to a degree ghostbusters is um but you know it's it's probably only a matter of time if that thing ever ever eventually happens but yeah the, the... Dan Aykroyd is going to somehow telepathically will it into being like he, I yeah think exactly that's essentially the only way that's going to happen but he will oh yeah well I mean he's he's been forcing and forcing it for so long it seems it would seem you know it, it has to happen at some point but I think my, I guess my point is are there films or should there be films where somehow Somebody has to step in and go. Look, no, we can't remake this. This is, this was that. This was. This should be left alone. It's sacred ground. We shouldn't. We shouldn't remake this because I think the idea of a. I mean, let's face it. They're going to be CG. Well, they're not. Yeah, going, I, mean, that's I, I, I think just to inject. I think the, my biggest worry about something like a Gremlins remake is the fact that when you look at it, like you say, it's going to be CG. But also, yeah. if you go through the cast. They were they were stars of their time. They they're not still stars now. Yeah. Um, they didn't go on to have long glittering careers. They had very big careers in a very short space of time, um, and they're very identifiable for three or four different roles. I mean, um, Zach, what's his name from Gremlins? That's Zach his Gilly. role. Yeah. That's that's it. You know, that's the film he will be remembered for. Um, Phoebe Cates. Phoebe Cates has basically been locked up by Kevin Klein now, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, I mean, for like the rest of her life. Yeah, I mean, she'll be remembered for that film and for that scene in oh, Fast Times. Fast Times. You know, yeah. Judge Reinhold again will be remembered for that scene in Fast Times uh, and that film. You know, and you know the Belly Old Cop film as well. Um, but they're not. You know, they they might get on the big back on the big screen because in a Gremlins remake they might have them cast as kind of oh wink look 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 and you might get that but the Gremlins will look shit because they'll be CGI and something somebody pretty bright on, on Twitter it, it, if you're going to remake Gremlins why not just do a new Gremlins film yeah you know you don't need to remake it just do a new film I'm not about the thing is I'm, I I don't necessarily think they should do a new film either because well, no, you know, would, yeah. it, a key thing is is they they will be CG mm. and that means that the whole point is is going to be completely lost the whole charm of Gremlins will be completely lost mm. so I mean for the, like the reason that I'm saying there are certain films which absolutely should be treated as sacred is because. Uh, no good can come of a remake. Like no good can come of a remake of Gremlins and and, and the Back to the Future example as well. Back to the Future is a perfect storm of uh, of performances and 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 you know those actors falling into those roles and having that script at that time and you know the car 
being that car from that era and just just a perfect storm of awesomeness that if you were to remake it would just be a, a filmmaker referencing what had come before so no good can come of it so i think in cert in certain situations where no good can come of a remake then it's it's somebody's responsibility and in this case that responsibility would probably be steven spielberg to kind of stand up and say i think we need to leave this alone well thankfully apparently he's the one stumbling block if it was up to warner brothers they'd already be on the path to production now but apparently for some reason spielberg specifically has to give the okay for it to go ahead and thankfully even though spielberg gets involved in an awful lot of uh, projects you know i mean fuck he's an executive producer on the transformers films it, it doesn't feel it still doesn't feel like he's someone who's just like i'll do that for the money I, you know it, it, i do think that I, I do think if the money's right for spielberg I, I, he'll do it I, I don't think i don't think there's very i think there's very few things spielberg seems to have a genuine love or affection for i think you know he will you know it, there's probably some kind of rights issue and he, the argument it wouldn't surprise me is it's that just spielberg wants a, a bigger cut of the points than i think that's a bit I, 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 that, that's a discussion to have another time maybe though I, but... I, I think when you look if you look over spielberg's production fucking credits he attached his name to a lot of fuck i'm gonna cut this later on because we've got a question that links to it Spielberg gets away with a lot of fucking shit that other people wouldn't get away with in terms of the films. Not that he directs, that he puts his names to over the years. He's put his name to a lot of fucking shit. It's true. You know, if you go through just some of the fucking shocking films, just even in the past fucking In the past couple of years, years, there's been a few. You know, you look at it, he's... Let's have a, Real Steel... Men in Black Three, exactly. Cowboys and Aliens, Transformers, Transformers. Dark you know, he he puts his name on a lot of fucking shit. And but but I and I will just slightly argue with Transformers. He was only like I know he put, put in his name too, but he was only really involved in the first one. And the fact that he was the one who made it focus on the boy and his car aspect mm. is the one. It is basically I think his influence is the reason why. I actually quite like the first I, Transformers. I, I don't mind the first Transformers film, but he's still got his executive producer tag sacked on the other ones, and I bet he's still collecting a cheque for that. Well, yeah, probably, but then it's a DreamWorks film. Exactly. You know, it's, well, it's like with Men in Black 3. I mean, like he was more involved in Men in Black, but it's just a name-only thing. Like mm. He probably gets like a cursory payment, but I don't think it's Spielberg saying, give me $10 million or I'm not going to put my name on this film because it's like, well, to be fair, who gives a fuck if Spielberg puts his name on Men in Black 3? The job's already done in terms of getting that franchise attention. Well, I mean, the thing is there is, is you'd look at that and say, well, who would it come under DreamWorks? Would it come under Spielberg's umbrella for um, Gremlins? Or, well, this is, or this is, is Gremlin is, is Amblin, Amblin, so, Amblin yeah. yeah. So he does get kind of the, the, the power of veto, I think. So, yeah, it really, it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if it's going to happen. Gremlins will happen at some point. Um, Spielberg won't direct, they won't get anybody in. It'll, it'll be a new director. I can't see anybody, you know, Spielberg can direct it first time round. Um, but, they, they, you know, they'll get in a new young director but it will be Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins like it was originally. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and I mean, going, I, I suppose, um, yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, going back to Noel's original thing about, um, you know, some films being sacred. I think it entirely. I mean, like, it, it almost sounds too obvious to even bring it up. But the only reason why this, uh, uh, you know, Gremlins is even being discussed is because uh, 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 it's it's a marketing thing. You know, it's it's name recognition. It's also the fact that they can make an awful lot of toys out of it. Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean. I mean, fuck, I've got a gizmo, a gizmo in a Christmas suit toy um, up on the top of my Blu-ray shelf. You know, it's, um, it, 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 I mean, I, I am fully in that as well. But I mean, like, it, it, I mean, name recognition goes far as well. But I mean, when you say some films are sacred, I personally don't think they'll ever remake like The Godfather. No. You know, I, mm. I don't think they'll ever remake Apocalypse Now. I, I don't think they'll ever remake Alien. I think they could. I, I I could see that. I couldn't see. I, I can't see them ever making something like Apocalypse Now or The Godfather. But I could see stuff like Alien, Taxi Driver, something like that. Them getting a remake. Um, I could imagine Taxi Driver actually. I, I could see that. I mean, there was there was talk very recently of uh, them remaking Taxi Driver with Lars von Trier um, as the directing it. Um, and that seems to come oh, off Oh, yeah, but I mean, that, that was an interesting creative co- uh, collaboration. It wasn't Sony saying, oh. you know, there's some money in that taxi driver brand. Let's see what we can do with this. You know, I mean, if it, if it's what if it's something like that, then I, I you know, I think fair enough. Like Steven Soderbergh remaking Solaris, you know, it, it's it, if the director actually has a passion for it. I can see that. But, but then again, I think sometimes you get you get certain stuff tacked in. Like, for instance, I could see, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, I, I, that we haven't had a, a Breakfast Club remake. You know, that mm. that seems to be, that, that will happen at some point. And again, that's the sort of film, you know, that very much like Noah was saying about with, uh, Back to the Future, it was like a perfect storm of the right, the right people, uh, the right sort of five actors grouped together um, with the right writer and the right director um, to create this this very sort of timeless, angst-ridden sort of the film, you know, there's nothing that particularly, with the exception of the dress and stuff like that, that that makes that eighties. You know, the problems aren't eighties-based problems. They're problems that were around before the eighties, and they're problems that are still around for teenagers now, I assume. Um, and it, it's something like that. But I'm very surprised that hasn't been remade yet. Um, but that's the sort of thing where you know they'd be they'd be remaking them for no artistic merit, just to trade off the name. Like very similar things happen with horror films. You know. Well, that's what that's why if you look at the slate of stuff that's that's up and coming, it's either you know what they tend to go for with remakes is stuff that's very much either name recognition and sort of brand recognition and toys and stuff like that, or they go with horror because you know it's it's easy and there's an inbuilt sort of geek audience for that type of thing. So I think it's it's fairly obvious to say that you know they're not going to sort of remake stuff like The Godfather because there's as you say as you rightly say unless there's an artistic um, unless there's a really strong artistic desire by a by a, a director with a vision of of what a different version that would be, it's not going to happen. But with, with Gremlins just fits that 
that sort of it, it's a little bit retro it's a little bit 80s and people can kind of look at it that way and yes there's the toy aspects of it and stuff so it just sort of fits that a bit too perfectly so you know i'm 100 percent sure it'll go ahead and i don't think steven spielberg will 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 hold out but i think that's a shame i mean just just sort of looking at me i've, I've just having a look at like a list and I've, I've just basically just typed in google um remakes 2013 um just to pull up a list of what of what's sort of in production or going to be released this year we've got a carry remake coming up um which i i, I don't i mean this one's probably more done for you know you I know you're a big carry fan aren't you yeah oh yeah yeah um Definitely. so i mean i'm i can see why someone's remaking that um we've got evil dead robocop um Oh boy, uh, Point Break apparently is going to be a new a remake of Point Break, The Crow, what? and uh, uh, Barbarella, and you know, Dirty Dancing, Drop Dead Fred, um, Starship Troopers. It just it seems like now, you know, before, like, like you say, they used to go for remakes based on sort of name recognition and brand recognition. Now they seem to be going back and, and remaking films now, just going, oh, that was a good film. Um, Oh, but it didn't do too well. Let's remake it. Mm. And it, we're we're going into that now. We're remaking films that don't. Why the fuck do we need a new Drop Dead Fred? With yeah. fucking, um, I think Russell Brand's been cast. Because Russell Brand is the new Rick Mail. Well, yeah, mm. it, it, it could be that. You know, I mean, you're probably spot on there. But I just really, are we really going to start having you know, fifty, sixty million dollar movies based on pretty piss poor. Um, you know, movies that people remember going, oh, I remember, I remember watching that, it was fun. Go back and watch Drop Dead Fred. It's fun, but it's shit. But you know what, though? That's the thing. I'd rather that they did that. If there's a failed, you know, if there's a, a yeah. movie from the past that didn't, that wasn't artistically very good or it just failed or whatever, I'd rather them have another uh, have another stab at it and try and get it right. Mm. What I have an issue with is, like, for example, the Robocop thing. Now, I have no idea whether the Robocop remake is going to be any good or not, but I can guarantee you it won't have the same, that sort of dirty edge that the original Robocop had. Like, it just, it won't. Be, I, I've, I've always said that Robocop is just one of those films that you just couldn't really make in the same way today no way. As, no. as you did at that time. So I know for a fact that this Robocop remake will not have that that extra level of sort of character that, that the the original had and i think that's 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 the problem yeah well yeah i mean it's you know it's uh, i don't know i mean i'm I'm, with evil dead i'm prepared to be i'm prepared to be surprised by it because i do get a feeling that it's actually going to be quite good but um you know do i need an evil dead remake i don't know it's i don't know my my issue is is if if the remake is going to lose what made the original so special then i don't know if it's I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, I think the, the, there seems to have been like a, a, a spate of remakes where, or remake ideas, where you, you're kind of going, well, hang on a minute, why? Why are we doing that? You know, and like you said, the, the Gremlins is a great example of Back to the Future, which they are talking again about remaking Back to the Future. And it's like, well, why? That movie is still really popular now. Mm. You know, Back to the Future was re released, was it not last year, year before? In cinemas, yeah. and it did okay. You know, it did it well. It did well. It did well. You know, so why not? Why not next Christmas? On sorry, this coming Christmas in 2013, re-release Gremlins. Make a fucking big deal of it. Mm. You know, 
fuck it. Retro. It's a great Christmas movie as well, actually. If you want, re-release it. You know, do that. Go down that fucking road. You know, cinemas are being at the moment flooded with uh, with movies, and it's why certain movies. Go back to the Last Stand. What what I said there. The reason why something like that isn't making money is because you know there's there's a there's a, a glut of other movies, bigger movies out there at the moment that that are getting that precedent. And if you're going to start sort of throwing movies out there that you're not making for any artistic merit, you're simply making them to trade off a name and to make money out of it. That's when you're starting to lose it. You know, a new Back to the Future movie, what, are you going to... Do we have somebody who's going to fill that role as well as um, Michael J. Fox did? You know, who has that that charisma, you know, and that look? You know, or do we have somebody who can fill Doc Brown? You know, these... These guys, sadly, they don't exist anymore. You don't get... I mean, how old was Michael J. Fox when, when uh, Bats Butch came out? He, he'd have been, about 27. Yeah, he'd have been mid-20s, weren't he? But he yeah. looked like a 17, 18-year-old kid. Now, this production line we've got, and we do have some very fine young acts out there, but these production line kids that are in their mid-to-late-20s can't pull off that age. The kids that are 19, 20 can't pull off. 17, 18, because they're, they're a certain st- uh, physique and a certain stature that you that you don't get. You know, we'd probably end up getting fucking Christopher Mintz Platts playing it. And if I have to see that little cunt in another film again, I swear to God, I'm going to kill someone. And, but that's what we'd have. In fact, I would fucking predict that that is the little shit we'll end up playing Martin McFucking Fly. And that dickhead can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, that was good. But, but that, that's what we're going to end up with. Gremlins is going to look like shit. We're all, it, I predict that when Gremlins gets released next year at Christmas, because we won't get it out for this Christmas, it'll be 2014, when they release it at Christmas, we'll all be on one of our podcasts going, it looked like shit. Why, why couldn't they have just, you know, why couldn't they have spent the money? making a, 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 an actual physical gremlin. They've put all the money into making a physical toy of, a, of, of, of Mogwai and of the gremlins. I can go out and I can buy one. That will, you know, And I will be able in 2014 go out and buy one that will look fucking ten times better with me waving it around with my hand, filming it on my iPhone, than the fucking CGI bullshit will get that will look like shit, but it'll happen. And I'll tell you, another one that'll happen, fucking Jaws. I'm surprised that hasn't been remade yet with a fucking CGI shark. Jaws that, will that be remade happen. while Spielberg's still alive. No, that won't happen. No, but, when he, but when, he, when he kicks the mortal coil, someone will go, let's remake Jaws. You know, it, it's, it, it does seem to be... At the, I, I, again, I'm not... I. I have no problem with remakes. There have been some very fucking good remakes, and people forget there's been some very good remakes. But uh, I'm getting quite cynical about remakes now. I, I don't think people are making them for the right reasons. I think people are making them for the simple fact to make money. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, what what fuck? Why are most films released by studios? Well, yeah. why, why are all films released by studios? It's but that, at yeah. least, I mean, that, that you know, that glut of, of kind of, if you're going to say, 
because a lot of the time now it seems to be we're getting into the point of where a lot of the movies you know we, we've had the 70s um and early 80s horror remakes and that's that's starting to die down because they've run out and now we're getting into the um you know off the success of um super eight and stuff like that and there's a very much nostalgia for that um we're getting back we're getting into heavily into this this 80s remake thing where we're getting movies that had early machinations of the cgi but were still sort of um practical effect based we're now getting studios going well, let's remake those movies, those family movies, uh, because we've got this CGI technology. And CGI, when it's used right, is brilliant. But I'll still take practical effects any fucking day. Well, yeah. I, yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, sorry. I, 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 my mind keeps on going blank tonight. I don't know why. Um, maybe this is my last appearance on the show because I'd be dead by next week or something. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you've, just, you've just got I've bought new TV hangover, haven't you? I might slightly have that, to be honest. Um, that has been a slight distraction throughout my entire day, frankly. Oh, oh, has anyone got any, anything else to sort of say on the, the, the remakes agenda? All right, give me... Give each of you, just off cuff, give me three films that you you would that you will say right now, keep your fucking hands off. So no, go. Keep your fucking hands off. Ooh, crikey. Um keep, definitely keep your hands off Back to the Future. Um definitely keep your hands off Weird Science. Um and, that I've been remade, yeah. Yeah, I probably would have said something like uh, Carrie, but unfortunately, um, that ship has sailed. So, um, I don't know. What's my favourite? What's my favourite horror movie? Does anybody know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's it's. Oh, I don't know. Uh, that said, I think your, your favourite horror movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's already been done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've done it. They've done their worst already. There's not was... really much more they can do to me. So fucking awful that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, don't don't remake Nightmare on Elm Street two. <laughs> yeah, or oh, Three Warrior. Um, Ian, what what called three films? Keep your fucking hands off. Sunshine. Yep. Duh. My neighbour Totoro. Oh yes. I can like, could you imagine like Disney doing a US version of My Neighbour Totoro? That's that would nice be. Fan. Jesus Christ. Um, and um. I don't know, because that's quite a big one, really, isn't it? I mean, I'm kind of tempted to say something like The Untouchables, funnily enough, just because it's such, like, a just perfectly done... It's that, that thing that I think Noel was saying earlier on about, like, the confluence of elements that somehow just, like, come together and work, mm. where, where like, The Untouchables, there's so much of it that shouldn't work. Like, the, the fact those pieces actually fit together. If anyone ever tried to do that again... Like, I know they were talking about doing, like, a, a sequel or a prequel a while back, and that kind of got knocked on the head. Like, I, I think it was going to be Untouchables Rise of Al Capone or something. Mm. Um I think Nicolas Cage was going to star in it or something. Um, like it, it, it just, it's just like no, you know, just what, what is the point? I mean, I, I maybe would have said that about the thing, even though the thing remake is kind of a, it's more a prequel than a remake, I suppose. But uh, how about yourself? Mark? Um, my three would be um, I've mentioned one of them, our Breakfast Club, uh, First Blood, and um, 
Escape from New York. And I can see at some point all three of them getting remade. But they will be my... Definitely imagine Escape from New York. Yeah, yeah I mean, Escape from New York very, was very close to getting remade um, a couple of years ago um, with Jared Butler playing Snake Plissken. That's well, right. let's face yeah, it. Len Wiseman was going to direct. He was going to direct, yeah. Ouch. I'd have gone. If Carpenter's got if if Carpenter's got any money to be made from it, it'll happen. Yeah, that's true. Yes, without without question, it wouldn't surprise me if Carpenter's the one shopping it around, going, eh, "Yeah, don't want to remake this. I've got this. I've got um. You don't need to remake L.A. Or or if you want, you can you can you can remake Big Trouble. Anyone? Anyone? No. Uh, anybody want to remake The Ward? Yeah. Anyone want to <laughs> anyone want to watch The Ward? I've got I've got a lot of copies of it, a lot. Um, brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. Um, fucking hell, that was terrible. Right. Um, so I, I think we're 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 we're, we're done with our, our our remakes, and we've said you know what we don't want to happen that inevitably will fucking happen. Yeah. Um, we do have some uh, Twitter questions, so I shall I could go through them. Um, as is the way you do these things. Um, <laughs> one from uh, three guys, one movie, which fits in uh, actually a discussion we've just been having. Uh, when did Spielberg lose his mojo? Hint, a long time ago. Now we'll just work off directing mojo on, on this. Um, so do, do you guys think that Spielberg has lost his directing mojo? Uh, if he has, when do you think he lost it? Um, no, because Lincoln's really good. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm sorry, carry on. Ian. No, actually, do you know what? I wasn't going to say anything. Go on, though. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I mean, if anything, I... I've said this before, I'm a big fan of some of his more recent stuff, more so than his sort of what what's considered his classics. Like, I I really like War of the Worlds. I really like Catch Me If You Can. I like Minority Report. I like AI, um, Saving Private Ryan. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of those movies, and um, I've still not watched the second half of Lincoln yet, um, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I don't necessarily feel like he has lost his mojo, to be honest. I think he's got, I think he's got a, a good few films left in him, and I'm probably more interested in him now than I was in the in the uh, the 80s and 90s. I mean, what I'll say, I think the problem is, I think in the past sort of in his past ten movies, I think he's made his worst movies. Um, the Indiana Jones, King of the Crystal Skull, is one of his one of his not very good movies. Um, the Terminal is one of his not very good movies. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of, of War Horse. Um, I wasn't a fan of Adventures in, of Tintin. However, I can see why other people really liked it. It just didn't click for me. I didn't dislike it, but I, it didn't click for me. But I can absolutely see why other people liked it. But... Um, he hasn't really, I personally don't think he's had a bounce like he used to where in a space of sort of like five, six years, you'd get three fucking kick-ass Spielberg films. But then again, he, he's never been the most prolific of directors, you know, since kind of like when he burst onto the scene. You know, he, he's always kind of cropped up sort of every sort of three, four years, um, I, I would say. Um, if you look at it, you know, he He's directed fewer films than you'd think to say that he's been directing for nearly sort of 40 years. See, I think when you look at his CV, though, really, if I kind of just go through here, he tends to sort of make a couple of good ones and then a bad one. Yeah. Or not a couple of good ones and then a bad one, but a, 
a couple of well-regarded ones and then one that's perhaps less well-regarded. So, I mean, if just starting with Jaws, I know that's kind of not necessarily the beginning if you count Jewel, but um, like Jaws, Close Encounters, and then 1941, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then E.T., uh, and then Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I know is kind of considered to be a much lesser movie than the original. Um, the Colour Purple, Empire of the Sun, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Always, Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, uh, The Lost World, Amistad. So he he tends to sort of... I he doesn't really do... I think his bad films are sort of peppered throughout his career rather than, rather than at rather, one rather end than or the in other. A, in a glut, yeah. I mean, what's, yeah. What, what are your guys' favourite? Uh, if you have to pick one Spielberg film, what is your favourite Spielberg film? Because my Close Encounters. Close Encounters. Sorry. Yours. What's yours, Mel? I'd say I'd, I'd say the same. Close Encounters. See, mine's Jewel. Um, I always get excited. People say, "Oh yeah, it, it genuinely is." I adore Jewel. I think it's a wonderful film, uh, and it's his first sort of proper film. But I just think that's. I think it's, it, it, it's ridiculously underrated and underseen. I think it's an outstanding, tense, brilliant movie. Um, I think it's because in the States it was a TV movie. Yeah. I, think, I think it was released on like VHS and, and stuff over here. I don't think it got a theatrical, but I think it was. Um, I think it, in America it's just basically considered as a TV movie, and that's probably why it doesn't make sort of movie lists and stuff. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely it, yeah. Uh, we've got a question from uh, Glenn T. Chapman, which is What director would you like to waterboard to get answers about one of their films? <laughs> uh, to get answers about them. Yep. Uh, Ridley Scott, Prometheus. <laughs> what was oh, that about God, then, eh? winner. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'd agree with that. To actually get answers yeah, about rather, rather than tell off, I would say that. Yeah. There's, there's literally not a better answer than that. I'm afraid you've nailed no, it. There is at all, right? If I had to pick somebody different, I'd say um, David Lynch for Mulholland Drive. Oh, but but just because I don't understand but, it. But do you know, like the thing is, is because a lot of people ask this this question to Lynch, and he gets quite quite twitchy about it. Which is the what do your films mean? And he he, he responds to it always is well, what do they mean to you? And mm. they just go, well, no, what what would they mean? He's going, well, what they mean to me isn't necessarily what they mean to you yeah. or to you. And Lynch is very much. You know, people say, "Oh, there must be a point." And you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's dozens of articles you can read about, for instance, something like Mulholland Drive and what does it mean and how does it work yeah. and what's happening, anything like that. But however, Lynch is one of those director slash artists where there's a there's a stronger possibility that it actually doesn't mean anything that he just had the idea to do what he did with it and just fucking went with it. I mean, for instance, all of Inland Empire, that, although it's played out like a coherent dream, or an incoherent dream, that started out as a selection of short films that he kind of, mm. he put together and then created this experiment that he released as a three-hour film. Um, and I think that, that sometimes happens with Lynch, of where he just goes, I want to do this now. I want to do this now. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm being a bit I'm being a bit facetious with the David Lynch thing because basically, I I just have memories of I saw Mulholland Drive in, in the cinema, um, and I I was a huge huge like yourself Mark I was a huge Twin Peaks fan growing up and um, so when Mulholland Drive came out I was really looking forward to it and 
I saw it and I remember being really angry afterwards. But but it was more I was angry at myself because I didn't understand what was going on. And I just remember that feeling of just like, fuck David Lynch, just fuck him, <laughs> fuck him for messing with my head. Um, so yeah, it's more to do with that. Really. Yeah, if I, if I ask people in the interest of not just just sharing uh, Ian's because Ian's is perfect, um, I would go for um, oh, I'm struggling a little bit. I have one in my head and now it's gone. Um, I, I, I would I would ask Len Wiseman to explain um, how to, to explain. The one original idea from his Total Recall remake. I'd ask him one question: of What was your one original idea in that film? And I guarantee you won't be able to give me an answer. I could give you an answer. What? Kate Beckinsale's hair. What? Well, that's just that's just what he sees every morning. <sighs> Kate Beckinsale's hair in that film is fucking incredible. It is, but that's just that's just look how beautiful my wife is. <laughs> like yes, very good. You have a hot wife. You're just you're just showing me another reason you're a cunt. I love how much you hate Total Recall. <laughs> I love it. Right, we have another question uh, from uh, TGP73. Uh, what's your favourite film set on a boat? Overboard. Oh, what a fucking great answer. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I, I, I love boat movies because I'm terrified of boats. So like, <laughs> I love boat movies. To me. Um, boat movies and ski exploitation. Ski exploitation is thing. a fucking great genre that should be explored more. Um, Agreed. What I, I will say is I watched it the other day again and I don't care how hackneyed and how shite it is. And it, it is one of the most contrived and hackneyed films you will ever see. Is a perfect storm of the perfect storms. I fucking love that movie. I'm going to go for that. Because because it once you get to the end, you go, hang on a minute. How do we know that, that any of that happened? How do we know that's based on real events? Because, point. you know, and, and it, it was the moment. That, and there's that great moment where you've got the voiceover of Matt Wahlberg in the water, and you're thinking, oh, this is so horribly contrived. But, but yes. Yes, I I am feeling it. I am feeling it, despite the fact that it is so painfully bad. That and Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship is a terrible horror film, but I still love it. Pass um, Carl Urban in it. Oh God, yeah, it has, isn't it? Um, um I I don't know. I I suppose Jaws to an extent. Oh. Um, you know, even though it's not really a boat movie. Um. I don't know. I mean, Deep Rising's quite fun, but I don't think that would be my favourite anything, really. Um, in a well, I suppose, Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I'd go with Aguirre, The Wrath of God, even though it's more like a raft than a boat, but fuck it, I'm going with that. Can we also um, throw out, not set on a boat, but is set on a lot of water? Uh, Deep Blue Sea, simply because it has Samuel L. Jackson being eaten by a shark. And it's also got LL Cool J's rap song at the end, where he's like the chorus is something like "My head is like a shark's fin" or something. Oh, which is... it. That's... Let's not forget as well, Life of Pi. I'm... Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit rafty again. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and another one as well from uh, from the eighties, a movie called Dead Calm. Which oh is, uh, yes, with um, quite tense. Billy Zane with Sam. hair. Yeah, yeah. Fucking so. um, Nicole Kidman. Oh yeah. fuck me! Boat movie, Apocalypse Now. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we managed to talk about boat movies, and I forgot to mention my favourite film, one of my favourite films <laughs> of all time. Yes, Apocalypse Now would be it without question. Right, uh, I think that's it for questions. Uh, did you get any questions just to you, Ian, or anything like that? Uh, fuck me. Let's have a look. Have you, have you checked our email? Uh, I have checked our email. There's nothing there. You bastards. You fucking You cunt. bastards. Uh, um, no, nothing to me specifically, mate. It's just the ones you had. Right, cool. Um, this is going to be the end of this section, obviously. Um because we are going to add another section on. But um, Noel is going to technically leave us now, um, and we will, me and Ian will be recording our Waking Life um, review later on, and it will be by the magic of editing fused together with this. Um, so, Noel, thank you very much for joining us. You will be joining us for our special Oscars episode. Um, Absolutely. Do you want to plug the shit out of your other podcasts? Uh, I can do, yeah. It's uh, well, it's been a pleasure, and to be perfectly honest with you, I wanted to say as well, I have been listening to every episode of this podcast, and I've been fucking loving it. It's right there on 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 my new uh, my new list of must uh, must listen tos every single week. So I appreciate what you're doing, and um, yeah, my podcast Adventures in VHS. There'll be a new episode up um, in the next few days, probably around the time this podcast goes out. Um, I'll be looking at two movies, which were two movies that were chosen by the listeners, and those would be The Blob from 1988 and Terrorvision from 1986. And I've got an interview with the director uh, of Terrorvision, Ted Nicolau, as well, um, oh, who was nice. a lovely bloke. So, um, yeah, um, check that out. Okay, yes, and also, everybody should check out the uh, Santa Claus, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and uh, Red Sonja episode oh, Jesus. of What's no, Your Damage, because it is. Fucking brilliant! That's I awesome. still need to listen oh, to that. That's getting done this it week. It has, it has, it has. Um, Mike and Noel talking for a good solid forty-five minutes about Red Sonia. The thing is, is we like we did that live. That's the first time I've done a podcast with Mike live, and I went up. To, we went up to Birmingham for the weekend, and we we started drinking pretty fucking early. And oh, I checked in. I just checked the end of the podcast just to see how bad I was, and I'm fucking. I'm I'm pretty smashed. Yeah. So if you want to hear me ridiculously drunk and shouting about Santa Claus the movie and, and forgetting people's names, then yeah, check it out. <laughs> It, 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 it is absolute podcasting gold and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Noel, and I'm sure Definitely, you, sir. You'll, you'll be a regular guest contributor to this podcast love to cool right uh, we're going to play a, a clip from Waking Life uh, and then we're going to continue our link later at Marathon your life is yours to create yeah, maybe I only exist in your mind. Still just as real as anything else. It seemed like I'd walked into an alternate universe. You haven't met yourself yet. I'm trapped. I want real human moments. 
I want to see you. I'm not in an objective, rational world. You can have any kind of sex you want. Seems like everyone's sleepwalking through their waking state or wake-walking through their dreams. So, you produce a neo-human, the individual no longer restricted by time and space. I'm just trying to get like a, a sense of, of where I am. Just wake up. Do you remember me? When I say love, the sound comes out of my mouth and it hits the other person's ear, travels through their memories of love or lack of love. It's like I'm being prepared for something. I am a passenger. really romantic evenings of self, I go salsa dancing with my confusion. Everyone knows fun rules. You can do whatever you want to. Everything is possible. You a dreamer? You know it looks so good tonight. Yeah. I don't see too many around lately. Oh, the passenger. He rides and he rides. Wow. Right, we are back again. Um, we've we've lost Noel because we are actually into the future. So we're in, still in present time with you, but in fact we're recording this a few days later. So me and Ian could have time to actually watch the what, next. What, and what's happened in that time? Um, Harry Redknapp has signed Chris Samba. Yeah, Harry Redknapp has signed Chris Samba um, for uh, what, what I understand to be around thirteen billion pounds. So, like, oh, I, I know we're not a football podcast and I'm not nearly as into football as you, but a hundred grand a week for Chris Samba. It re- that is that is a lot of money. That is a, he's a he's a forty grand a week player at max. Uh, it is insane. Um I, I, apparently according to uh, Dan Walker of BBC, um QPR should sign HMV before the end of the day. I saw that tweet, that was good. It was yeah, I, I was quite impressed with that. And also as well, because we're actually recording this, you know, later than we recorded these, we can we, we did as we can actually sort of quickly say, have you seen the HMV tweets? Yeah, man, I saw them on the Guardian website when I was at work today. Fucking like they got fired and then hijacked the HMV Twitter account. Yes, they they hijacked their own Twitter account. Um, That's great. I mean, that is we we spoke on the last episode about HMV and um, I think one thing we tried to put across was that it's nothing against the staff. It's it's yeah, the hierarchy, yeah. and and that again was a, a great example of staff kind of sticking it back to them and kind of you know being as honest as they as they could and getting it out there that you know. The higher up are still going to be there and are still going to be doing a shitty job. It's the people who actually gave a shit that are going. Mm. Um, nothing else has happened in the, in, in the film world, um, and there is still five hours left of the transfer window, so that is easily enough time for Harry Redknapp to leave QPR and go and try and cripple another club at the same time. Um, so we're going to play, um, you know, we're going to play a little clip from Harry Redknapp's favourite film, uh, Waking Life, um, and then we're going we're gonna to discuss it a little bit. So that was a, a little clip from the film uh, Waking Life. This is the um, penultimate instalment of our Richard Linklater uh, marathon, uh, which has been chopping and changing around because we had 
Christmas and New Year list and stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, time kind of ran away from us a little bit. Uh, Waking Life is an animated film uh, released in 2001. Uh, it's more of a project film than anything else. Uh, it was done using rotoscope um, animation, which the usual idea of a rotoscope is you film it and you put it onto a light box and uh, you colour in um, the, the film cells directly. Uh, this is a process that has been used for well over 100 years, uh, but Waking Life was actually shot digitally and then the colouring was put on using um, Mac computers that they bought off the shelf uh, and using a a design version almost of Photoshop so it would end up being called Rotoshop uh, is what Linklater calls it, uh, coined the phrase for it. Uh, much like his film, his debut film Slacker, uh, Waking Life has no real kind of linear story uh, which I'm sure we're going to come to very soon. Um, and uh, it, 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 the idea of it is it tells is you have uh, Wiley Wiggins of Dazed and Confused fame um, slipping into a dreamlike state and then going through this dream and encountering various people who explain the ideas behind dream and existentialism and all these other things. Um, I first watched this when it was released in, uh, I caught a screening in a cinema in Leeds and I I loved it. Uh, but this was sort of 12 years ago when I was 18. So um, that might explain my feelings at the time. Um, what I'll do is I, I'm going to hand you over to Ian because I have a feeling that Ian um, was a little bit blown away by this film. Okay, I, I've seen Waking Life before. Um, I, I saw it around the time it came out on DVD, so that was probably like 2002, so that would have been when I was about 18. And at the time, I thought, oh, that's, you know, it's quite interesting. You know, I, it wasn't a film that really, um, uh, really kind of held in my opinion or anything, but I think I probably was quite stoned when I was watching it, frankly. Yeah, I think I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, um, watching it now, um, I... I the thing is, I probably... Actually, no. I feel fairly confident in talking about the whole of Waking Life, despite the fact that I didn't watch the whole of Waking Life at this uh, at this juncture. Um, you I, have seen the whole of Waking Life at, I have, at a juncture, so I think, I think you are perfectly entitled to talk about it. Bless you. In its form. The thing is, as you said, it's not like a linear story. It's basically a collection of people having conversations or people monologuing mm. and that's all it is and i will say that i shut it off when it got to the bit where he's in the cinema and he's the guys on the cinema screen talking about how cinema's not great because you're only you're seeing it through one person's eye it's one person's vision and whatnot yeah. and it it basically struck me that this film has absolutely nothing to say. Um, it is basically the ramblings of people who have way too much time to think and so go over the edge of thinking and into just spouting shit. I mean, there, there are good, I mean, there, there are interesting ideas in the film, but they 
all seem like they are so far up their own arse that they're forever tumbling in a weird somersault caused by the fact that their head is jammed up their arse and they're on a forward motion. And the animation, for me, doesn't help it. In fact, it hinders it because, okay, it's trying to create a mood, but when you've got these concepts that are already quite, you've got to be engaged and you've got to understand, you know, you've got to be listening, having this animation, which looks really crude and kind of shitty these days, mm, yeah, it, it, it just it's just really distracting. So by the one hand, it's like, look at the pretty visuals, look at the pretty visuals. But then exactly the same time, it's listen to these people talking about stuff they think's important, but isn't really at all. And it all, it just, the film felt like it was shouting at me saying, pay attention to me because I am really fucking important for the whole thing. And yeah. I, I just, I, like, I want, I wanted to try and get through it so that we could talk about it on the show. But I think it says as much as anything, the fact that I just had to shut it off because it was annoying the living shit out of me. Mark? Um, I watched it at work today. Um, right. I got into work. I did all the stuff I needed to do. Um, and then I, I, I put Waking Life on. Um, now, usually what happens when I watch a film at work is I have to keep pausing because customers come in and I have to answer the phone and stuff like that. Um, and, of course, I remembered liking Waking Life. Um I got about sort of 20 minutes in and was starting to look around going, I must have some fucking work I've got to do. Yeah. yeah. There must be something. In the end, a customer came in and I, I think I kept them at my shop longer than I would normally have. Sure. Um, just so I didn't have to go back to Waking Life. Now, Waking Life isn't a bad film. It's not a bad film because it's not a film. Yeah. It, you, you, you could quite easily just listen to this and not even look at it. The visuals, although, you know, they do look crude, um, absolutely. Um, I think part of that is because we had a few years later, we had a scanner darkly, which uses the same technique, but uses it with an actual story. And it that's a very good film. And it adds to it. And it, Yes, it, 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 it certainly Scanner does, darkly, yeah. it adds to it. That's, whereas, that's the thing. Whereas this, this felt a lot like... Um, it, like like almost like a piece of spoken performance art or a lecture. Sure. It felt like for an hour and 40 odd minutes, Richard Linklater was telling me his ideas about the world in a way that makes him, that, that tells me how smart he is. Now, I know Richard Linklater is a smart guy. I don't need Waking Life to tell me that Richard Linklater is a fucking smart guy. Um, but this is what this is. And it, it's the sort of film that the sort of people that I think will, you know, I, I can understand people who, who would say, you know, oh, I, I actually quite like Waking Life. It, it's interesting. But the sort of people who go, oh, it's amazing. It, it's wonderful. It's, it's so respective. And, uh, slight technical issue there. Uh, but anyway, basically, I was saying that Waking Life, you might have heard this, might be repeating myself, um, Basically, the Waking Life is the sort of film that if people, someone says it's amazing to you, they're probably holding a copy of The Guardian. Um, but they have no intention of reading it at all. And they've, they've got a copy of The Guardian under one arm and possibly an iPad under the other. Um, sure. Just to be a cunt. Um, the, the, the thing is, 
like what is the general reaction to waking life now because it, it does feel like it's been forgotten and i suppose maybe it's the fact that link later makes a lot of fucking films but it's quite an idiosyncratic piece, and I'm kind of surprised people don't mention it more, either positively or negatively. I think, um, I think because because Linklater is is a very uh, he's a very film nerdy kind of director, um, and I, I think that there's only been like a certain amount of people that have actually seen Working Life. I mean, I'm looking at it now, Working Life has a 7.5 on IMDb. Now, what I always say is IMDb ratings are ridiculous. Sure. Um, and nobody should ever pay any attention to them. Um, because a, a lot of the times you might have a fucking great film that'll have a terrible rating because people who don't understand the film will have watched it. And I always use Halloween 3 as my example for this because Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is a magnificent film and its rating is 4.1 on IMDb. Yeah, that's fucked up. Whereas Waking Life's version is 7.5. I think it's one of those films where the majority of people who, when they watched it, were probably students at the time, and were probably a little bit baked, like I'm yeah. sure me and you were when we yeah. watched it. Um, and so the ideas of, you know, existentialism, and, you know, talking a lot about dreams, and, you know... Stuff like that, man, and the trippy aesthetic, you know, that, oh, man, yeah. That appeals to, you know, 18 to 21-year-olds who, you know, are finding their own their own selves and are kind of looking at that and are still in that stage of going, I want to like smart things because I'm a smart person, you know, and are thinking, right, this is smart, and it is smart. But the, the stuff is, they're saying is like it is, but like potentially interesting. Yeah. It's just there's so much of it, it and just, it just goes too far. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it needs breaking up a little bit. Um, with you know, if it had a better wraparound, it might work. Um, but also it doesn't help the fact that some of the people talking it have just really boring voices, and they're talking for so long, and you're thinking. I was I was I was interested in what you were saying, but now I just want you to stop. Um, I mean, the last thought you, you you would have got to it this time, but the last kind of actual monologue, I suppose, is Richard Linklater himself right. um, telling a little story, and that's the most interesting part of the film. Um, and, but then there's other bits where you can tell the people who are talking are not actors; they're just talking heads essentially. That Richard. Luke Lair is talking to. Yeah. Um, but then you can tell when an actual actor comes on board and they start talking because it's different and it feels more like that. It's like, did you ever see a film called um, What the Bleep Do We Know? No, but I know of it. Um, it it's, it's very reminiscent of that. Um, and I, I, I got that. Um, it's released a couple of years later. Um, yeah. I, I got that and started watching it because people were recommending it to me and saying how amazing it was. Um, and I, I, I had the similar thing as what you seem to have this time when you watched Working Life. I got about halfway through it and had to turn it off. And I thought, right, I'm going to give that a year and I'm going to try going back to it. Because I think, and I, at the time I thought, Do you know what, I don't think I'm smart enough to watch this film. 
Yeah. And that that's what I thought. I thought these these ideas are going way above my head. So I went back to it a couple of years later, thinking, right, I'm a little bit old, I'm a little bit smarter than I was. I went back to it and I thought, watched it and thought, no, it wasn't that I wasn't smart enough then. It's the fact that this film is nowhere near as smart as it thinks it is. Um, and I think Waking Life is as smart as it thinks it is. It's just not as interesting as it wants to be. I think, yeah, okay. I think that's a good way of putting it, actually. I mean, like, I, I think that the whole kind of shouting, uh, like, and going up its own ass thing, for me, it's just because there is so much. Um, it, it, it is so much of it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like you say, it's. The, the, it is not as interesting as, as, as it, it thinks it is. And I mean, again, with the animation, I mean, you were saying that you could listen to this just audio only. You could, you could watch this visuals only. Like, because there's constantly stuff going on in the background and things like that. You know, it just, it, it, it kind of just feels like link later still kind of coasting on uh, the dazed and confused, like, bandwagon and being just given money to make something and that's what he did and i think like after because i don't i think school of rock was pretty close after this it wasn't far off yeah because school of rock was like 2003 maybe um let me yeah. just have a look yeah it was 2003 school of rock so i mean like it might have even been his next film yeah uh, and it, it... tape was actually his next film which was made the same year um, okay. but uh, i mean if you think I mean, tape. You've not seen tape, have you? No, no. I, I'll be honest. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend rushing out to watch it. Tape. Sure. We weren't going to cover tape. Either this or tape. And I asked him. I thought we should cover Waking Life because there's more to talk about than there is a tape. Tape is all filmed in um, a hotel room, and it uses, right. to my memory, it uses three cameras. One is a stationary camera, um, and the other two move around. Um, but it is it is ultra low budget tape. It is yeah. it, it, it it although you've got Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman in it, uh, I think it was shot for basically around the cost of renting out the hotel room, um, and a little bit. What is it? I think I mean it grossed it grossed a bit of money, but I think it costs some ridiculous like fifty thousand um, dollars. Yeah. And then you're watching it going, what did they spend that on? <laughs> you know, and that's how low budget it is. So, wow. uh, yeah, but that was the, the film he made next. But he made that sort of around the sort of same time. And then School of Rock was his next proper film after that. But it, it, it kind of almost feels like he kind of did a Steven Soderbergh, even though Soderbergh, like Soderbergh made a lot of films in kind of like the 90s and whatnot, which were pretty much buried Mm. And then he did out of sight, and then suddenly he was back. You know, yeah. and it, it's like Richard Linklater with School of Rock. Suddenly he was back. Yeah, you that, know? That, that's that's pretty. That's pretty much what happened. He made Dazed and Confused. He made Slacker. Got a lot. Got you know. Got given Dazed and Confused the money to make Dazed and Confused. Uh, he then made Before Sunrise straight afterwards. Then after that, he made Suburbia, Newton Boys, Working Life, Tape. None of which sort of did that well, really. That's four, yeah. I mean, that's four films in a row that kind of did nothing, basically. Yeah. They did School of Rock, um, and then after that, you know, you got Before Sunset, Bad News Bears, Fast Food Nation, then Sky Dark, which made money. Then he made Me and Arson Wells, which again made money. Yeah. Um, and then Burner, uh, and of course later on this year we've got you know Before Midnight, Before yeah. Midnight which has got very good reviews. Mm. 
Um, so, you know, this is very much an insignificant Linklater film um, in terms of his canon. It's more a project. And Linklater has described it since as being an idea and a project to see if a Scandarchy would work. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, like, um, I mean, I, we're not doing Scanner Darkly, are we? No, I, I think we're going to do either Bernie or me and Orson Welles next. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, by the way, I think we should do me and Orson Welles just because I haven't seen it. Um, uh, yeah, we, we'll, we'll do me and Orson Welles because it's a Zac Efron film and his hair is amazing in it. Sweet, that sounds good to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, like, you compare this to a, a Scanner Darkly, and I mean, it's like, because I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, like, the animation style is... is pretentious or anything like that i mean i think it's quite it, it's an interesting look it doesn't look great but then with the scanner darkly it is <coughs> sorry excuse me uh <coughs> bloody hell christ uh it, it um it mixes into the world of, of you know of, of the book and of the characters and of their mindsets and well like the, the mindsets of the characters and waking life about all like the dreamy kind of stuff and the surreal things kind of it works with that as well. It just, it, 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 I don't know. It just feels like it is more of a world. It feels like there's more of a point to it because apart from the general dream, talking about dreams, there's not a lot of a point to it in waking life, apart from the fact that he can do all these visuals, which are, like I said, distracting to me. Mm, yes. Yeah, sometimes they actually start looking at the visual. Uh, and then if you stop listening for three or four seconds, you, you will gone. lose, a, you're you're done. Done. you'll lose a floor. Uh, and then once you've lost that flow, you basically you know that there's a possibility that you might have the next ten minutes where you sat there going, okay, maybe this possibly would have worked if it was a forty-minute film. If it was a forty-minute short sure. film, uh, sure. it might have worked. But this isn't. This is this is a long film for for the type of film it is. You know, it's it's hundred forty. Well, it's it, it's um, an hour and forty minutes. It's a hundred-minute film, just shy of. Uh, and that starts to starts to wear a little bit. That's that's the thing. I mean, especially considering, like you said, it's not a film. No, it's not. It's it, a lecture. You know, yeah, and I mean, like, and it's ba- yeah. That's the thing. It is basically like if you were sitting in a lecture hall for an hour and forty minutes with people just constantly talking. I mean, like, it's it, it, even the fact that Wiley Wiggins, like, when he's like talking to these people, and when the other people, like, in the other scenes, are kind of like listening to them there's not a lot of even breaking it up it's just them will chat and then like wiley wiggins might have um like one line and then they'll just chat again and it, it just I, I don't know it feels like you're peering in on conversations which are quite interesting individually but built up together they're just no yeah it, it doesn't it just it just fails to click i think maybe it, it it's one of those films that at the time it worked sure um but now it just it just doesn't it feels fast and it feels it feels like it's telling you how smart it is and yeah. like i said not saying it's not smart but it, it's nowhere near as interesting in what it's trying to say uh, i think link letter says these things better in in his films yeah, yeah, I, like just his general thematic ideas and the the kind of things he wants to bring across. I think they're better when they're not just actually saying them outright. I think you're right there. Mm. 
Right, so that was our our review of um, Richard Linklater's uh, Waking Life. Uh, I think we were both very much sort of the same on it, that maybe we enjoyed it when we first watched it in our sort of more impressionable young days. Sure. Um, but with a little bit more worldwide experience on it, you start to look at it and go, all right, yeah, you know, yeah. you're smart, but fuck it. Um, so not one of his not one of his best films, but you know it, it's more of a cure, I'd say. Um, our next uh, Richard Linklater film uh, on our next episode is going to be Me and Arson Wells, which is probably um, his most um, his most sort of studio and straight pick um, sure. on the face of it, because it's a story of you know Arson Wells and his his, his production of Julius Caesar. You've got Zac Efron, who at the time, you know, this isn't Zac Efron, paperboy, like post um, High School Musical. He hadn't made, I don't think, High School Musical 3 at this point. I think he was he was still under the Disney umbrella at the time. Um, so it, it was a strange, a lot of people said it was a strange choice for him to bring um, sort of Zac Efron in there. Um, but what comes to that next week, but it was, you know, Zac Efron's not as, not as one note as people seem to think that he is. I'm intrigued. Uh, it, it's a very interesting film. Um, cool. So, yeah, so, well, that's the end of this episode. Uh, if it seems like we've recorded it in two bits, it's because we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, just to give you the maximum output. Uh, and, as usual, you can contact us on dude and a monkey at gmail.com uh, uh, or you can contact us on twitter which is dude and a monkey or sorry, at dude and a monkey or at doofoz or at ian loring please chat with us or whatever send us feedback send us questions and itunes reviews are always greatly received uh thank you to the person who gave us an itunes reviews that compared us to chinstroker versus ponta solid yeah that was a very nice very very nice to be compared to a podcast that fucking every twat list and stuff uh, so thank you very much for listening and we'll we'll see you on the next show cheers folks cool